I mean, what's more football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. And it is time to preview week nine. It is. You ready? Yeah. Week nine in the NFL. Uh, we did not do Thursday night football yesterday. We'll touch on that today. Yesterday we did. We had a great discussion yesterday about a bunch of stuff. Great discussion. Great discussion. Mm. So go check out the Wednesday show. We had fun. You know, it's open-ended. We can talk about whatever we want. I enjoyed the Rams team-building discussion. Yeah. Of course, we touched on the Aaron Rodgers situation. We'll discuss that even more here today. But we're going through all of the week nine games. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right. Uh, by the way, I did... I did throw a little bit yesterday. Oh yeah, yeah. Got what the arm, I? got the arm moving. What am I looking at? Oh, I'm popping like 62. Oh, right now. I think I can take that. Whatever you faced in the cage, I think I might be able to replicate that, the, the but with cage, a little bit of movement. Cage max, maxed out at 65. Oh man, it hurts. But that was closer. It hurts. Arm 62 hurts. 62 from left hip hurts. Yeah, 62 from distance. I I I like that. I'm not. I'll, I'll throw. I'll throw harder than. 62. You got more than that. You got more in the tank. I do. How much but, more? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if 75 is in the cards right now. I was like, oh, that one felt pretty good. And the ball is just like, you know, it's got a little little arc to it. Okay. Start, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. So still working on it. Find us a field. We'll get it going. I need to go swing a bat again. All right. Thursday night football. We got the uh, New York Jets and the Indianapolis Colts. Colts are favored by 10 and a half. It's the Mike White-led New York Jets. You're telling me Vegas isn't buying the Mike White hype? He's not. They're not. Vegas is more. <laughs> Vegas is not a he. They're not. I don't know if it was just one guy setting all the lines for everybody. Oh, that sh- it should be. Just one grizzled old cigar chewing, like every giant sunglass. Like, like uh, you know, Robert De Niro at the end of Casino. We're sitting there with those glasses. They're like this size <laughs> yeah. and like yeah. an inch thick. Just in a dressing gown setting then all the lines. If he dies, you get no one else. Yeah. No one else can set the lines. That's done. He's never trained anybody. Anyway, the guy in Vegas set the line at 10 and a half, and he's not buying the Mike White hype here. <laughs> Uh, going into Indianapolis. But Mike White played a good good football game the other day. Not like 400 yards worth of a good game, but he played a good game the yeah. other day. And the Colts, uh, man, I'm still just disappointed in the Colts at 3-5 and five here. Uh, yeah, reasonably so. I think, I mean, if Mike White plays the same kind of way he did against the Bengals, it's closer than 10 and a half points, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, they're they're literally setting a line that says he's not doing that again. Forget right. the 400 yards, the whatever. Like, d- just performance-wise, throw by throw, if he plays at that level, it's a closer game than double digits. Yeah, and the Colts' uh, Colts pass defense has been a little bit better in recent weeks. But, yeah, they've they've had their ups and downs this year. 55 coverage grade on the back end there. So it is it is possible. And the, the thing that Mike White did the best that we talked about that has that Zach Wilson wasn't doing was he just got rid of the ball and hit, hit underneath throws. 
really quickly right i mean really quickly we talked about zach wilson's time to throw up in this echelon of players that usually scramble around and all that stuff it's literally two ends of the spectrum the two what was white's final number 2.31 for that game in zach is like 3.3 it's it's over three so it it was a completely different jets offense with mike white spreading the ball around making quick decisions and you know i think honestly zach wilson has to take a page from the way mike will mike white played last week when wilson does get back yeah for the season it's it's 3.1 for zach wilson 2.35 for mike white um 3.1's an eternity but right? also even like forget the actual number which you know can be skewed the percentage of throws that come out less than 2.5 seconds 33 percent for zach wilson 61 percent for mike white so he's almost yeah. double the rate of getting the ball out like quickly faster than the typical pressure can arrive that is huge and these are all numbers in premium stats 2.0 which you can get at 25 percent off if you use the promo code specific to this podcast which we are giving you as you know a a thank you for being loyal listeners what is our promo code steve nfl pod nfl pod you're getting really good at that 25 percent off very natural that's a lot it that's, is it's almost a quarter as i believe you've told it's me almost a quarter yeah yeah 365 days of access and that's you know what i encourage everybody is you know you you're gonna buy the draft guide you know you want the draft right. guide you just just sign up today and you'll get the draft guide right it's within that 365 days so you're gonna get all of that stuff and that right now is is probably the best way of supporting the podcast which we know you want to do yes just why wouldn't you support us we'll support you we're a team here uh so again not to make this whole thing about zach wilson but i do think he could take a page out of mike white's playbook last week get rid of the ball quicker uh i I use the stat that like look he's he's only scrambled like zach wilson only scrambled like four times and he still has that time to throw that means he is really not playing within rhythm within the flow of the offense and you can see what can happen when a, when a quarterback does that this becomes an interesting game like if mike white has another game like that or a similarly impressive performance all of a sudden i don't know if you're putting zach wilson back in not in like not a permanent thing you know this is not hey zach wilson is suddenly not the quarterback of the future but all of a sudden it's like does do we now have a window to sit zach wilson down like have him learn from the bench essentially and then, like, next year, Zach Wilson takes over. Like, I, I think no. this is a, I don't know. Like, I think this would give you cover to, you know, sit him down and, like, teach him up from the sideline because it's not going well. Like, if we were seeing signs of development from Zach Wilson over the course of the season, I would say, sure, just, like, ride through the bad. Eventually, he'll come out of the other side of it. But right now, like, what is it doing him good being out there? I'm not certain he's developing. Uh, I I don't know. We'll see. It's not like the detrimental situation we've talked no, about. No, agreed. Necessarily, I don't think but. it's necessarily harming him, but I wonder if he's better off, you know, being a backup at this point and kind of getting up to speed in practice and blah, 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 before you throw him back out there again. Extreme takes, Sam. Extreme not takes. Even that. I mean, they've said it, you know, they've opened the door, left the door open, rather, for Mike White being the starter in, in future, both... both um, both head coach uh, Robert Sala and Joe uh, Douglas. Joe Douglas. Yeah. Wow. I eventually got there, but those were two. Those were. <laughs> I was like rattling the filing cabinet looking for those two names. Um, both those guys have like left the door open to say that uh, Mike White could be the starter going forward. Like again, not you know we haven't like completely flipped the future. Mike White is the guy, the franchise guy, but. They've left the door open that the starter could change, and I don't know if that's a terrible idea. I think it is. 
right. Mike White will keep the seat warm until Zach Wilson's back and ready to go. Uh, many of you are going to be listening to this after the fact, right? Remember, right. a lot of people are listening so, you to know, this let's, after the let's game. Let's be done. Uh, so uh, I'm expecting the Colts to win. Will okay. they cover? Are we getting another Mike White situation here? Uh, they will win and not cover. That's a lot of points. Uh, by the way, just want to see uh, matchup-wise, want to see DeForest Buckner, Elijah Vera Tucker, the rookie guard. You know, see that matchup up front. You've got some injuries on both sides here. Quinn it might Nelson, not go like great the, for Elijah. It might not. Um, and Carson Wentz coming off back-to-back grades in the 40s. I absolved him of the one in San Francisco with the rainstorm. I will not absolve him of the 42 grade in the dome against the Titans. So yeah. Wentz goes from a 94 to a 46 to a 42. He needs a bounce-back game here. The atmospheric river, please. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The, it was Slash a cyclone bomb. I'm not sure how they connect. Bomb cyclone, I believe it is. Yeah, it's bomb that cy- way around. It's a well, bomb you cyclone. Wouldn't want, you wouldn't want it to sound silly being backwards. It's the, uh, right. We don't want that. The raining river did affect Carson Wentz a couple yeah. weeks ago. Uh, so Colts win, Jets cover, I say. That's so, what I said. Yeah. Um, with have it. you been keeping track? You said you were keeping track of these. I kind of did last week. Did so. you stop paying attention once you were no longer 10 and 2? Did you delete my... Oh, there it is. So in week seven, I was 10 and 2. By my count last week, I threw the Dallas-Minnesota game out because that line completely flipped after we... It, the line moved by a lot of points. <laughs> Only 9% moved, but you know, it moved. Um, so I threw that out of the equation here okay. last week in our picks here. I think we both took the same... We both took Dallas. So I don't... Look, it's out of the equation. <laughs> we both win it. According to that, though, there's 12 games from last week. I went seven and five. You went six and six. Okay. So since we started keeping track, I'm now 17 and seven against the spread. Huh. Made millions. Going 17 and seven. That's I mean, good. Yeah, it would depend on what your uh, unit of betting is, and on knowing you, millions. I would imagine it's not millions. Not high enough to make you that kind of bank. For like a dollar here and there. Yeah. You know. Uh, so I'm 17 and seven over the last two weeks. You're six and six. Whatever the opposite of a high roller is, that's what you are. That would be a low roller, I believe. I don't. I, that might be something else. I'm not sure. Let's get into the games of the week. As always, we are going to focus a little bit more on some games than others, starting with the Tennessee Titans at the Los Angeles Rams. It's Sunday night football. Loses a little bit of luster without Derrick Henry. It's not fair. You add Derrick Henry. Uh, you lose Derrick Henry in Tennessee, and you add Vaughn Miller to the Rams. But you also add Adrian Peterson. It's a good point. Adrian Peterson. A lot of Hall of Fame talent. Adrian here. Peterson and Julio Jones are now uh, on the same team. Yeah, imagine. How nuts is that? Imagine telling that to somebody a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, you just get Adrian Peterson and Julio Jones. Tell me that back in like 2000. I like none of them are the pri- like neither of them are the primary driving force of this yeah. offense. Like they're all secondary bit players. And Ryan Tannehill is the most important player on the team, <laughs> by the way. So, uh, yeah, Adrian Peterson. What do you expect from Adrian Peterson? Uh, what do you expect from the Titans offense? Okay, so let's start with that. What is going to happen with the Titans offense? What do they need to do to go f- going forward without King Henry? So somebody had a silly tweet, and it wasn't Dan this time. Um, I think it was CBS that tweeted like, hey, you could, you could You could call out CBS, but not Dan? Yeah. Okay. Since you were, well, you were saying, I only ever call out Dan and, blame, and try and uh, describe his name. It's not Dan this time. Blame Prisco. As far as I'm aware, Dan had no silly tweets re- in relation to Adrian Peterson. Blame Pete Prisco. Um, but they were like, oh, for all you people that don't think Adrian Peterson can still, you know, break off a big run, this run was, it's like either just over or just under three years ago. <laughs> it's like playing him in, in Washington, like breaking off a big one. It's like right. three years is quite a long time, particularly for a running back that's he like, was in, like in a, his late 30s. He was in a different Nielsen TV bracket back then. Right. Like he was in a different demographic. Like, 
<laughs> just that's a weird tweet. But I do think that behind a good run blocking offensive line, which Tennessee does have, right? Adrian Peterson, even now off the couch slash treadmill, probably still has some juice on early downs and can make something happen. Now he can't be Derrick Henry because right now nobody is. Um, but I think there's a chance that like the run game doesn't just evaporate, like it doesn't completely disappear. Now what becomes interesting is how the Rams defend it, right? Because we've been talking before that they're in this sort of, with Henry there, they have this perfect dynamic of if a team really cheats up to play Derrick Henry, all of a sudden the play action passes there and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and Ryan Tannehill are throwing all those digs 15 yards in behind the play action. It's huge plays left and right. On the other hand, if you back up and you try and defend that, then Derrick Henry has a huge day and you're trapped between either one of those things. It's impossible to defend both. Now... Do they care about Adrian Peterson in the same way? Why would you defend that when you can try and cover the pass first and foremost and then assume that a geriatric Adrian Peterson doesn't have the skills to make you uh, sorry you did that? Yeah, I think that's the biggest question. I used the stat a couple weeks ago. Ryan Tannehill, the number two passing grade against eight-man boxes since joining the Tennessee Titans, right? That has been a huge part of Ryan Tannehill's success. And, you know, we've got, we have a wide range of people that listen to us, Sam. So what does that even mean? You know, some people obviously are like, Steve, of course we know what that means, but other people don't. We've had a lot of emails from people saying, hey, I've helped, you know, you guys have helped me learn football and various things like that. But very simply, when you put eight guys in the box, it creates one-on-one opportunities on the outside for the most part. And Ryan Tannehill has been really good throwing the ball accurately at the intermediate level, a little bit down the field since joining the Titans. And so the eight-man boxes does open that up. The Rams game, to the point we always make, might not be the best proxy for how our team's going to defend the Titans because they probably would have, you know, invited Derrick Henry to run a little bit as well. But um, I want to see what I want to see how, what happens with this offense. How reliant are they on play action? How reliant are they on the run game? Do they try to spread to throw a little bit more? Put more on Ryan Tannehill's plate. It's a big, it's a big second half of the year test for you know like a Ryan Tannehill litmus test. How much has he been reliant on the scheme yeah. and the system and the Derrick Henry factor in the backfield? I don't know we'll get a good idea in this game because I think it just yeah. doesn't feel like a great matchup for them. Um, but I think, yeah, overall, the second half of the year, we are going to find out, I think, a lot more about how that dynamic functioned, the Derrick Henry versus <coughs> Tannehill in the play-action game thing. Um, the mo- like Maybe the most interesting thing, though, is this addition of Von Miller for yeah. the Rams defense. For sure. Like... Aaron Donald plus Von Miller generally is great. You're getting two, you're getting the best interior pass rusher in the NFL, and you're teaming him with a guy who's been the best edge rusher in the NFL over the last decade. Isn't that guy right now, but it's still like top 10. What I'm really interested in, though, is not so much like, not so much the sum of what they can both do, which will be impressive. It's how quickly does the combination of both of them like produce something genuinely impressive because look aaron donald has turned like pedestrian pass rushers into 15 sack guys just by the volume of pressure he gets up the middle which forces quarterbacks to try and escape and run right into the arms of awaiting dante fowler right who's getting like stoned on the edge um like he's done that to not particularly good pass rushes i would imagine immediately he will create a jump in von miller's production but also, like, Von Miller still has a lot of skills in his own right. He's still got a lot of ability to rush the passer. And that's just if they work independently. What happens if you start creating, you know, stunt combinations or, 
you know, designed plays where they're both playing off each other. Remember the way like Justin Smith and Alden Smith had this absurd ability to just free up one guy with the stunt. Yes. At some point, it feels like this could become an absolutely special combination if they tap into it. Here's some of that perspective. Let me go. I'm going back to 2017 here. Rams edge defenders, their pass rush grades versus their sack totals. Robert Quinn in 2017, 62 pass rush grade. That's average to below average. He had 10 sacks, including the postseason. 2018, you didn't have it as much. And Sue, and Dominican Sue was there. He was number two in sacks with seven. So you didn't really have that Donald effect then. But in 2019, that was the Dante Fowler year that you referenced. The NFL had him with 11 and a half. We had him with 15 sacks. So that was how many times he tackled the quarterback. 73 pass rush grade. Pretty good. Solid. That's not a 15 sack type of guy. And then last year was Leonard Floyd, who had 13 sacks. They re-signed him, but his pass rush grade was only 66. For perspective, uh, what's uh, Vaughn at this year? He's at high, high 70s. So... Vaughn Miller, and again, where do, what hap, how do we come up with our pass rush grade? The biggest driver of PFF pass rush grade is winning one-on-ones. Winning one-on-ones, and the quicker you win, the higher the grade is going to be. 78.2. So a 78 pass rush grade in half a season. So Vaughn Miller is by far, even now, the uh, even now a declining Vaughn Miller, because that number used to be high 80s, low 90s. 90s, yeah. He is the best edge rusher that they have had. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to have 20 sacks or right. you know he's going to have 10 over the next nine games. It just means that the offenses never had to be afraid of Dante Fowler or Leonard Floyd, and they would always get one-on-ones. Like, Vaughn Miller is going to create havoc and make Aaron Donald better. So, again, I don't know if it's going to show up in the stats or not, but I do know that having Vaughn Miller and Leonard Floyd on both edges, and Floyd's really good against the run. I like him a lot as a player. He's just not an elite pass rusher. He's been better this year. But it's Floyd and Vaughn on the edge, plus Donald in the middle. This is the best defensive front the Rams have had. Yeah. And there's also a world where, like, Leonard Floyd is the chief beneficiary of this, where maybe Donald or maybe Vaughn Miller actually wins too much to be the guy that reaps the reward of the Donald pressure. And what you end up doing is creating a ton of pressure from Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald. And all of a sudden, Leonard Floyd is the guy that, like, mops it up when the quarterback tries to escape. Um, Either way, like, just the addition of Von Miller, I think, is a really big part or really big addition for this Rams defensive front. But I think the combination of them has the potential to be more than just the sum of adding Von Miller's pressure to the, the equation. Um, I do want to give Leonard Floyd proper credit for this year. He's got a 77.6 pass rush grade, which is, you know, right in that Von range right now. So Floyd has rushed the passer a little bit better this year. But I think the point remains. I mean, it makes the Rams all the more dangerous. Vaughn uh, is an elite run defender, always has been, so it adds value there. So I, I like it. I like it a lot for what it does in the short term. Again, yesterday we discussed some of the long, long-term ramifications, and while most in PFF maybe and in the analytics community might be questioning the Vaughn Miller move, I think uh, yesterday's discussion showed there are there are two sides to it, and it's it, it's risky, but I also think the payoff could be could be pretty great for the Rams here. Uh, offensively, the Rams keep humming, and uh, Stafford stats are through the roof. We've talked about that. We've talked a lot of Rams this week in general. So uh, for this game, Sunday night football, the line is 7.5. And, and I don't know if Derrick Henry changes the line much if he's there. Uh, and Tennessee is coming off of this stretch that we keep referencing, right? It was Buffalo on Monday night football. It was Kansas City. Last week, a division game that goes to overtime against the Colts. Does Tennessee have enough in the tank? to pull the upset here on Sunday Night Football or at least remain within a touchdown. No, 
No. Just no? No, no, no. 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 Rams win in cover? Yeah. Man, I'm leaning that way too. Let's not agree on everything, but yeah, I'm leaning that way too. So we both took the Jets. Are we overrating the Derrick Henry factor? Why, why is it such a strong no for you? Uh, I'll tell you why for me. <laughs> because yeah. Rams are a much better team. Okay. Like Derrick Henry, he is, I, I do think that he has been the foundation piece of that offense. And if you take that away, it, it is a significant difference. Like it's not, as much as I think Adrian Peterson might do a decent job on early downs, it's not the same as having Derrick Henry to base your entire offense on. Um, and in addition to that, like they can't stop the Rams offense. Nobody can right now. Certainly Tennessee can, but the way their defense is shaping up. Um, we're talking about like one of the top offenses in the NFL going up against the number 20 ranked defense, according to PFF's um, ELO ratings. The Rams, the Rams defense is still really good. It will invite, I think, the least dangerous aspect of that Titans offense to have success, i.e. back off and let Adrian Peterson have some joy. So I just don't see how it would take like an amazing game from Ryan Tannehill for them to get to to hang in this. I want to see it, man. There's <clears throat> there's a lot more pressure on Tannehill. I'm I, I'm impressed with how the Titans are are playing on the back end and how they're like Kevin Byard's been fantastic. They they have the number two coverage grade in the NFL. That is a to me that's a massive upset given the personnel they've had back there. But I I think that comes back down to earth a little bit against this Rams team. So I think the Rams will move the ball. Could could be a potential shootout here, but I'll uh, I'll also take the Rams. Seven and a half is a lot, but I'm taking them. All that Rams hate we've had, you know, we gotta you gotta revert back, completely buy in mm. to the Rams. Seven and a half, we'll take them to cover. Uh, before we get into the next game, quick reminder: if you're an NFL fan and you're hungry for a big win this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, they got you covered. New new customers can bet just five dollars on any NFL game to any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win. $200 in free bets. If Sportsbook's not yet available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. So you can find the biggest line of the week, which is uh, Buffalo, uh, again, to win. Uh, you just... You bet on Buffalo to win their game. Not that I'm suggesting that, but, you know, it could work. If they win, you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There wasn't a, a single chicken dinner attached to that, that. We have removed the chicken dinner. Wow. I did suggest maybe given it's uh, Thanksgiving season, we huh. could winner, winner. Winner, <laughs> turkey dinner. Turkey dinner. I don't think that works. Coming up in a no, few weeks. Can't do that. That's going to upset a lot of people. Yeah. The people have spoken. Hmm. They don't want to win a chicken dinner, but they do want to win $200 in free bets over at DraftKings.com using the promo code PFF. There's a pretty wide spectrum of chicken dinners, like KFC versus, you know, roast chicken with all the trimmings. I could go for some... I could go for some nice fried chicken right now, but I'm in training. You and so. Peyton Manning? Yeah. Just oh, man. demolishing that. <laughs> Good for Peyton. That's what halftime's all about. Uh, Chowing down on some wings. All right, Green Bay Packers at the Kansas City Chiefs. The, uh, the Chiefs offense that has scored 23 points over the last two weeks is favored by 7.5 at home against the Packers. No Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love getting the start. 
So what are we looking for in this one? Well, here's, um, you want to see how powerful like the quarterback is in terms of betting lines. This is the game to look at. Like Rodgers goes down, the line just pl- like, skyrockets in the direction of Kansas City. Uh, I think it went from minus one to minus seven and a half. Is that right? Or it went down to, I think, eight and then back yeah. up to is seven, that seven and, and a half. half at the moment. Um, you, which you can see on PFF Greenline, the, the betting tool there up at the top of the page. Again, you can get access to all the good information, all the uh, betting parts of it and the PFF leverage data for 25% off using the promo code NFL pod. There you go. And you can see just the like literally line just falls off a cliff. The second Rogers is declared out. So it's Jordan Love season with the potential backup of Blake Bortles. Yeah, they signed Blake. They called the QB, the uh, backup QB house. That's where Blake is now? Yes. Okay. Hanging out, he was just hanging out by the pool. You know, drinking a margarita or something. And, and they wanted uh, him, not Bruce. Yeah, they didn't They didn't call for Bruce. Huh. Bruce was great in games, probably. That's where he grades his games. True. They've got good internet. You think he's great in games rather than, like, chilling by the pool? That's true. He's, he's at the pool. <laughs> he's definitely at the pool. <laughs> so him and Blake are sitting by the pool. Yeah. They call the house. Who's, like, the... There's got to be, like, a house manager. The guy at the back of the phone. House. Yeah. Who's, like, like, the best backup of all time that just is too old, can't play anymore? He's the, he's the house manager. Who would that be? Like Charlie oh, Batch? No. Jim Sorgi. Jim Sorgi. So Jim Sorgi is the manager of the backup QB house. That Jim we- Sorgi is like uh, Alfred, you know, with the butler with the, the tux. Yes. Jim's answering it's the Jim. phone. And then it's like, you know, there's a button he hits, like the bat signal. The phone rings and everybody's, is it me? Yeah. Is it me? No, it's and Blake. Then, and Jim hammers a button. Blake, grab like, your gear. You're going to Green Bay. Whoever can get into the, uh, whoever can get into the locker and just get transported somewhere wins. Oh, it's like it's more of a competition yeah, yeah. than anything. James Georgie hammers the red button like a siren goes off, and then it's just everyone haul ass to the thing. And Bruce definitely wouldn't win. <laughs> He'd be stuck at the pool. He wouldn't move. He would uh. just sit there with the, you know, the whatever those um like the folding sun shining things, you know, where you angle the sun yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. He'd be he'd have one of those, just like sunglasses just on. Good tan. Yeah. Bruce. So, uh Blake Bortles is the backup for Jordan Love. Uh expectations for Jordan Love. What we saw in the preseason. I think was a lot of the scouting report, right? It was a lot of what Jordan Love did at Utah State, which was, hey, this is a great throw. I, he throws with touch. He throws with zip. He had a couple of nice back shoulders. Like, you could see the special arm talent. You also saw, man, the YOLO balls that Jordan Love was throwing in the preseason were amazing. Uh, multiple passes just chucked into the end zone into double coverage. And I would, I'm going to go out on a limb and say those are the passes he would need to avoid here this weekend. But... Um, I'm expecting a bit of a roller coaster ride, maybe, for Jordan Love here in his first start. Yeah, like in a weird way, it's not a bad place to be making your first start in terms of the team you're playing. Um, the Kansas City defense is terrible. Now you're on the road, and Arrowhead is a very bad place to be doing it from a you know from a standpoint of crowd noise and having to run the silent count and all those kinds of things. But in terms of like. You know, you're going up against the Chiefs defense. They still keep insisting on playing Daniel Sorensen. Like, it's a pretty nice place to be making your debut from those terms. Um, Devontae Adams still up in the air with his COVID thing. They hope to have him back, but it's not done yet. That obviously makes a huge difference to where Jordan Love can go with the football. If he has Devontae Adams back, I actually think he has a reasonable chance of playing quite well. Now... You have to, it's, it's always tempered with the idea of like how much good can offset a couple of like ridiculous YOLO balls that could cause 
all kinds of havoc. If he can avoid doing that, like there's a pretty good chance that the Packers put up some points and he looks quite good at the end of this game. Yeah, the uh, the big time throws could absolutely be there. Just um, to add context to Daniel Sorensen, a 42.2 coverage grade, Sam. 42.2. That ranks 87th among 93 safeties. So Sorensen uh, has been targeted. He's been targeted a lot all over the field and just given up a ton of big plays throughout the season. 21 catches for 356 yards into his coverage. Passer rating of 157.2. Now, coverage great, coverage stats for safeties aren't always, like the, the stats themselves aren't always the best indicators, but this is one of those examples where it's backing up what we're seeing. So Sorensen's been a sore spot for the, uh, for the Chiefs defensively. The other piece, too, you get Willie Gay with a nice interception the other day, and he's not playing a ton of football for the Chiefs. Uh, You mentioned a few weeks ago with Juan Thornhill or Willie Gay and now maybe with Melvin Ingram. I feel like the answers for the Chiefs might be on the roster defensively. And yeah, they were better against the football team and they were better against the Giants. They were going up against lesser offenses. They have been better in recent weeks and they have another opportunity to look better against Jordan Love making his first start. So Kansas City's defense might start to turn the narrative a little bit I, think, I, in, I wouldn't go as far as to say the answers are on the roster, but I do think you're right that they they can get incrementally better with several fairly obvious personnel moves. The problem is they seem fairly reluctant to make them. Like, the one we talked about was Chris Jones moving back inside. They have been moving him back inside. It hasn't right. been a total shift, but they've shifted him back inside more. With Melvin Ingram coming on board, I think there is a chance that they move him back permanently, like 100% inside, because now you have the ability to have Ingram and Frank Clark on the outside, and then Chris Jones be the full-time interior guy. Frank Clark coming off literally his best career game against the Giants. If all three of those guys are on the field at the same time, that's suddenly way better than anything they've had earlier in the season. Um, the I, I don't understand why Daniel Sorensen is still getting game time. I really don't. I mean, I understand that he is potentially a sort of leadership figure and a guy who gets people lined up right. But at some point, it doesn't matter if you're the dude with the bullseye on you. Like yeah. It only matters so much where everybody else is when the ball is coming at you. Like, you're the problem. Like, if everybody else is in the wrong spot, it doesn't matter if the ball is heading into your coverage and you can't stop it. So at some point, I, that is a move that they have to make. They've already, like, they dabbled with it at one point. I don't understand why they went back. And then, yeah, Willie Gay, I think, is another um, solution to some of their issues and a guy that should be earning as much playing time at linebacker as anybody they have and isn't. Chiefs offense has crept back to fifth worst in the NFL by our grades, just straight grades. Um, so they've been a little, again, a little bit better in recent weeks, but all eyes, of course, are still going to be on this Kansas City offense. 23 points over the last two weeks. And another thing that we've continued to discuss, what's wrong with them? They're not creating big plays. Both Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey averaging under 10 yards per catch the other night on Monday Night Football. Is Kansas City going to start digging themselves out of this hole? How are they going to adjust offensively? Just for some like direct comparison, Ben Neiman is essentially the linebacker that's keeping Willie Gay on the bench yes. primarily. Uh, overall PFF grade, Ben Neiman's is 39.7. Willie Gay's is 71.4 coverage grade which is the strength of that particular player 43.3 for neiman 88.8 for willie gay um pass a rating into their coverage 128 for ben neiman 56 for willie gay like at this point you can't be looking at those two players and thinking that ben neiman gives you a better chance to have a successful defense 
You simply can't. There's no evidence backing that up. So I don't understand why that's a move that they haven't made already, and it isn't. Uh, by the way, Chris Jones, questionable for this particular game. I'm with you on all the Kansas City trying to trying to find what the answer is defensively. And, and the thing we bragged about with the Kansas City defense with Spags running the D is that week to week last year, they didn't have the best talent, but they would find a way to adjust to each offense and the whole thing. Just haven't had that feeling this year. Too many coverage busts, too many just bad plays by the KC defense. Um, offensively for the Chiefs against this Packers defense, what can they do here? I would, is it another... I used the stat yesterday if you missed it. Chiefs have faced... Two high coverages, if we call it cover two, cover four, cover six. Two high safeties. They faced at 50% of their offensive snaps. No other teams over 38%. Just the Jacksonville Jaguars at number two. And I think the Jags, it's a lot of teams just, you know, they played the Texans. So that's all. That's all your cover two right there. Um, so the Chiefs are facing all this two high coverage, which essentially it's the opposite of what we talked about with the Titans, right? Single high coverage. Eight-man boxes creates one-on-ones in the outside. Two high coverage creates underneath passing opportunities but not downfield passing opportunities we've seen bouts of the Chiefs playing the underneath game being patient with it but there's just something missing it's the inopportune turnover bad decision Mahomes getting bored but Mahomes not showing that patience snap for snap he does have to play within structure more consistently and this would if if the Packers want to run with the game plan that everybody else is using, it would be a shift in what they typically do on defense. Like the Packers run cover three as their biggest coverage shell. Cover one is third quarters. Um, that's four uh, zones across the top is the second highest three seam. Like they, they're not a typically a split safety the kind two, of defense. The two, four, six right. group. Yeah. That's, they're way more cover three, cover one type of defense. So... Do we see a shift in the kind of coverages that Green Bay uses? Do they do it by personnel and stay with their single high shells but run a ton of dime defense, which we've seen them do in the past, right? Six defensive backs and just flood the zones underneath, but take the – like that is a way, I think, of attacking that Kansas City offense as well, but it's way more vulnerable to that one deep shot to Tyreek Hill, which changes everything. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of coverages – they show up with we also have Jair Alexander still out right and the the on paper Green Bay defense as far as their secondary goes looks I mean anytime it's like Tyree Kill on the other side okay who's gonna who's gonna match up with him but teams have been doubling him team in and the Chiefs have been targeting him more on the underneath stuff it's been Rasul Douglas these last couple weeks that's played pretty good football on the outside for the Packers but the you know He's got a history of being a pretty average corner. He's got a 78 coverage grade right now, which is nice. Passer rating of 45 into his coverage. He had the game-clinching interception against A.J. Green. But those should always look like mismatches. Tyreek Hill against all of these corners. So we'll see, again, how how the Packers try to play the two stars, Tyreek and Kelsey, and if they play into what other teams have done, which is, all right, let's take them away, make Michael Hardman, make Byron Pringle, make the other couple tight ends you know, beat us in the passing game when it comes to Kansas City. Devondre Campbell, midseason All-Pro, man. Best linebacker in the league this year, Devondre Campbell, coming out of nowhere. The other guy to watch who's been really just a great addition for the Packers. And for us, unexpectedly, he hasn't played at this level previously. Yeah, absolutely. I don't quite understand how that's happened, but it doesn't show any signs of going away. Like, he looks absolutely for real this year. And the Packers don't play a lot of linebackers. Like, he's been sort of a one-man show in the middle there and doing a really good job of it. Um, Just to finish this game up here, 
I, I don't have. I think Jordan Love's going to have his his good and bad here. Uh, Matt Lafleur, essentially, pressure on him, man, to to scheme it up, right? If he can create some open throws, and he, and he's Aaron Rodgers is great, but you know Lafleur's done. He's been fantastic calling yeah. plays these last couple of years. If he could do that, Green Bay keeps it close. Um, I, I keep expecting the Chiefs to just not look as disjointed as their offense was the other night, but. Is this the week? Is this the week the Chiefs get out of it? Seven and a half. Is that a lot for a Chiefs offense that has not been great? Um, it's a lot, but it, it represents, you know, Jordan Love essentially being nothing more than a replacement level player at this point until proven otherwise. Now, first round talent, huge arm, capacity to make a lot of big time throws. There's definitely a world where he's a lot better than a replacement level player. But there's also a world where, you know, turnover where he plays left and right, YOLO passes, everything goes against them, and they throw as many, if not more, turnovers in the Kansas City Chiefs, and then they probably have some real issues. Uh, so, again, I think I'm in this world of Kansas City wins, but the Packers cover? I'm going to say the Chiefs win in cover. I'm, I'm calling them bouncing back here. Okay. And I'll be concerned again next week if it doesn't look right uh, offensively for the Chiefs. I'll say the Chiefs cover the 7.5. So you're going to say Green Bay covers but the Chiefs win yep ah wanted to see Rogers Mahomes all right the other uh, big game this week Arizona Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers Cardinals are favored by one and a half Kyler Murray missed practice yesterday with an ankle injury they're coming off of they played Thursday night football last week too so I don't know how much of a concern the ankle is going to be he got banged up at the end of that game he's he's had he's going to have a 10-day rest period here I'm assuming he's going to play but you know I'm not the doctor. You are. So uh, do you think Kyler is going to play football? this I week? think it always sounded like he was going to play. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that is probably going to hamper him for a bit and keep him in the pocket a little bit more, but didn't seem like it was going to keep him out of a game. So I'm still working on that basis until proven otherwise. Sounds like George Kittle's back for the 49ers. He's at least uh, back from injured reserve. We'll see if he's going to play. Uh, Debo Samuels, questionable with a calf. A lot of calf injuries around the NFL. A lot of calf injuries. A lot of calf injuries. And not, not fake ones like yours. I I missed 10 days. Okay. Uh-huh. I had a 10-day calf injury. Yeah. Yeah. Fake one. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was fake. Yeah. It was fake. You're okay. The statute of limitations has passed. MLB is not coming after you now. No, it's not me. It's the Mariners. Are they going to get fined? I doubt it. And if they do, who cares? What are they going to do? Invoice you for it? No, they can't. They right. can't do that. No, no, I was making twenty eight hundred a month. There you go. I mean, that's you're fine. You're in the clear. Yeah. So you can throw them under the bus. MLB, go go get the Mariners for putting me on the DL, ten day phantom DL with a fake calf injury. Uh-huh. Go get them. Anyway, these other NFL players dealing with real calf injuries, which uh, I think is a quick recovery time. But uh, Jimmy G's coming off from a great game last week against the Chicago Bears. How long does he hold off? Yeah. Trey Lance is one of the big questions in San Francisco. And just like, can he string together a couple of good games? Like, Jimmy G has been terrible this season, except that game against Chicago. Yeah. So, can he back that up? Like, was that just a random freak? Or does he have more of those in him? He has a run where he went in overall grade 63, 55, 56, 47, and then 80 against the Bears. Like, that's a massive outlier so far in his season. It also represents only his second big-time throw of the year, and the second game in which he threw fewer than two turnover-worthy plays, or had fewer than two turnover-worthy plays. So, massive departure from what we've seen from Jimmy G so far this season. Also, like, would you know, ran in a couple of touchdowns. Um, 
Like, does he have that in him again, or is that just a random blip in his season? Because I think at this point, he basically needs games like that to stave off Trey Lance. Like, I think he was right on the... If he'd had another 47 grade last week, I, I don't think he'd be starting this game. I think they'd have already made the switch. So he did. He had the good game. But I think he's basically on, like, a constant rolling road now of you need to have good games every week, otherwise... You know, you're only ever one game away, essentially, from Trey Lance taking your job. Yeah, we've got to go with the uh, Shanahan, I suppose, Jimmy G. I right. suppose he's the, our, our starting quarterback. Uh, looks like A.J. Green's out. COVID situation for him as well. So he's out this week. DeAndre Hopkins, questionable. He's been banged up a lot this year. But reiterating, the, the thing that has made Arizona special here is not relying just on DeAndre Hopkins, but having generally an A.J. Green there, a Christian Kirk, a Rondell Moore, and Kyler Murray's ability to throw to the middle of the field. But that gets trickier once you start chipping away at that depth. If you do, it hurts. It certainly hurts. And and they don't have the Murray trump card if he's playing differently, as you mentioned, with right. the ankle. You don't have a scramble here and there or just a you know scramble to throw type of pass that have made them special. Um, the other part here, too, Zayvon Collins playing some really good football for the Cardinals, the first-round linebacker. Remember last year, early in the season, was Isaiah Simmons was like the the 49ers target, right? Kyle Shanahan's target. He makes life miserable for linebackers and safeties. That those those are the guys that have been uh, really catalysts for this Arizona defense. Buda Baker and uh, Buda Baker, Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, all those guys in the uh, in the secondary that get attacked by Shanahan defenses. Those guys are going to be uh, an important part. Yeah, they game. didn't. So Zayvon Collins has, hasn't played much this year. We're talking like 164 snaps in total across eight weeks. He's um, been limited. But so it's because it's, it's entirely dependent. His playing time is dependent on essentially the formations that the offense rolls up in, right? He's the third linebacker that doesn't play if they go to sub-package defense. So if you face an offense that's going to run with 11 personnel, like say the Rams, Zayvon Collins is going to play four snaps in the game, which is what happened in week four. Uh, Last week, he got injured, so he only saw three snaps against Green Bay. But, like, the Rams are one of those 11 personnel heavy teams, so Zayvon Collins basically didn't play in that game. Then you get teams like the 49ers, who will run with much more heavy set packages, and Zayvon Collins will play, like, 34 snaps in the game. Yeah, his career his career season high was 34 snaps against the Niners. Right, and five. what was interesting is you heading into that game, you were like, this might be an Isaiah Simmons situation where they deliberately keep Zayvon Collins on the field and then paint the bullseye on him, and he's the guy that gets targeted. They did keep him on the field. He played, as you say, a career high in that game, a career high by like six snaps as well. But he played pretty well, and they didn't go after him. He had one target into his coverage, and it wasn't completed. Um, so I, I really like what I've seen from him. He has this ability to sort of sift through and diagnose and read run plays really well and come downhill and fill in, in his gap with authority in a way some of these young linebackers don't. And it's it's actually impressive watching him go. Um, and he hasn't been as good in coverage, but he certainly hasn't been the kind of Isaiah Simmons liability that la- from last year. So he's, he's a fun player to watch. So Arizona beat the Niners 17-10 back in Week 5. It's the, uh, it's the only game Arizona hasn't scored at least 20 uh, Arizona, it's um, until last week, it was the only time they hadn't scored 30, right? They've scored 30 points, Arizona, in every game except against the Niners and then that Thursday night football game against the Packers. It's one of those division games. I mean, it's one and a half. The spread's one and a half for a reason, despite a big difference in records, seven and one Cardinals here, who you would think would be favored. But in Arizona, uh, sorry, in San Francisco, it's going to be a good game, man. The Niners have done a good job against the Cardinals. So where are you leaning in this one? 
I think that the 49ers are going to spring an upset and win. Ah, dude, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Because I gotta keep I gotta keep doubting the Cardinals, right? They're just not as good as the their start. This line's been bouncing around all over the place, by the way. It's yeah. been as much as 2.5. It's been zero. A lot of key players injured here. Um, I think I think even though we're halfway through the season, how much can we revert back to what we thought before the season? And we probably thought these were teams three and four in the NFC West behind the Rams and the Seahawks, I think, and that they were pretty close, that they were pretty evenly matched. Um, if Arizona loses this game, then we're going to have that similar narrative. Oh, they're a first-half team, and then they – and then they lose it, so it's a big one for them not to, you know, start that that free fall after starting seven and zero. But I, I I like the Niners in this one as well. All right, <laughs> what? Huh? Just picking the same things. It's okay. We could we it's can fine. agree. It's fine. It is okay to mm. agree. No, it's not. No. Should we just yell at each other in, in disagreement? Sure. Okay. What Let's do got? that next. Uh, Chargers at the Eagles. I got the opposite of whatever you think here, Sam. Mm. Chargers favored by two. At Philadelphia, a couple teams that like to uh, play zone coverage, not allow big passes. So maybe it'll be a, a nice underneath passing attack here from both teams. What are you looking for in Chargers, Eagles? So the Eagles have had this weird offense this season where the whole thing has been running through Jalen Hurts. Um, and I don't know how much that's by design. And then all of a sudden last week, they just dominated up front in the trenches against the Lions and all of a sudden had this like destructive run game. Like Jalen Hurts basically didn't need to pass the ball last year, last week. Now, even though he did, he still managed to find some throws to miss. But that's a problem for another day. Um, the question is, though, is this another game where they're kind of going to just stumble into that dominant like, game plan, even if it isn't by design? Like, oh, hey, we're absolutely wrecking this team up front at the line of scrimmage. Let's just run behind that all game. It doesn't matter which running back it is, whether it's Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, Kenneth Gainwell, Miles Sanders. Like It doesn't matter. Any running back in there is going to have success. We don't need Jalen Hurts to carry the entire thing. Let's just ride this until it stops working. Um, the Chargers will invite teams to run the ball anyway. They are right on that kind of borderline of... Like, inviting teams to run a lot of the time is a smart thing to do. It's less effective generally to run the ball than to pass the ball. And if you're a defense, therefore, keeping the ball where it's where it's less dangerous is a better way of doing it, right? This idea of kind of what teams are doing to the uh, Chiefs offense, but just in the run game, right? Instead of forcing them to take all these underneath passes, you're essentially offering a team to pick up a bunch of yards on the ground knowing that it's not that efficient and ultimately they'll sputter out somewhere along the line. Um, but they are sufficiently bad at doing it that they like flirt with the the line of, you know what, beyond this point, it's actually more efficient to run the ball and you're not, it's not net win anymore, right? You're, yeah. you're so bad at defending the run that when you invite them to do it, they will take it and they will still score a ton of points and put up a, a huge amount of yardage. So... I'm kind of interested to see if this is the game where Philadelphia can, you know, have one of those uh, Cleveland-type offensive performances against this Chargers offensive line. The Browns put up like 230 rushing yards at like six point something per clip or seven maybe. Um, Philadelphia's got a kind of offensive line that could achieve that. And they have Jalen Hurts to like add to it um, and, you know, then complete some bombs off the back end of that. The top run defense grade for the Chargers is the player. Number 33, who plays a little safety, a little linebacker. Then a couple corners, you know, who, you know, it's cornerbacks, 
run defense grades you don't get into anybody in the front seven with significant playing time until you get joey bosa he's got a grade of 66 the chargers on the season are allowing 5.1 yards per carry the yeah. only team above five um that's a lot it really is on that borderline and you know again i'm always looking forward to what we're going to be talking about in february in in march as we talk about team building and i think you're going to look at this chargers team and brandon staley is going to say okay one or two impact players along the defensive line so that you can play lighter boxes right you 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 could play lighter boxes if you have elite linebackers but more importantly elite interior defensive linemen not necessarily you need to have an aaron donald but you need you need guys that are disruptive that guys that get off blocks and the chargers just don't have that right now and this has been just as the offensive line has been a year-over-year issue for the chargers the defensive line other than the guy named bosa and when melvin ingram was there the defensive line on the interior has been a massive issue edge defender's been fine but the interior has been a big question for the chargers so yeah that's definitely a, a matchup to watch here and we'll see if the eagles stick with it because you know to you mentioned the game script for the eagles has been odd in many games this year where they put so much on hurts in the passing game when i this is one of the weird times i would revert back to to run the ball a little bit um, and then justin herbert uh, I don't think he played as poorly as the stats showed last week. Some some bad luck that turned into interceptions, but that this passing offense in general just needs a they need a bounce back game. Over these last couple of weeks, got beat by the beat by the Ravens, beat by the Patriots, and even though this isn't a, a conference matchup now, you're talking about a Chargers team that's starting to starting to slip after they were the darlings, right? It was Chargers and Bills as the best teams in the AFC, and Chargers aren't really in that conversation anymore. Yeah, I do kind of wonder how much of the the offense running through Jalen Hurts is a Jalen Hurts thing as opposed to designed. Um, I you know, With the amount of RPOs that this offense runs, like how much is Jalen Hurts just assuming responsibility versus like taking the honest read and handing it off when you should hand it off and passing it when you should pass quickly? How much of it is Jalen Hurts just playing hero ball and trying to do it all himself and doing too much? Yeah, I mean, from an RPO standpoint, you're, it's supposed to be just read it, and, and, that, and defenses dictate that, really. Like, if you know you're I mean, facing a run-pass option, you but, can say, I want you to hand it off or I want you to pass it. Defenses can dictate what you should do, but they can't make you do it. Like, you know, it's the same with read option looks in the run game. Like, if, you're, if it's a legitimate read option and you are optioning a specific defender— the way that defender uh, reacts is what it tells you what you're supposed to do with the ball, but it doesn't mean you will do it. Like you might just be a guy who is inclined to like to pull the ball every time, right? Unless the unless the guy does something insane and you know just plows it, never even pays attention to you. But if that guy, you know, most defenses these days, they're sort of hedging. You know, very rarely do you see um, just like all out in one one thing or the other. So at this point, like maybe Jalen Hurts is just always erring on the side of this is Jalen Hurts football. Perhaps he might be. Um, I'm just saying it might not be like Sirianni putting too much on Jalen Hurts' shoulders as opposed to Jalen Hurts assuming too much responsibility. There's there's definitely more nuance to just like run past balance and, you know, percentage called plays and stuff like that. Uh, The Eagles... Defense continues to just allow everything underneath. <laughs> Herbert's been so much better in that area this year. I think he'll do well again this week. Move the ball. Chargers by two on the road. Where are you leaning? Uh, I think that Philadelphia actually matches up quite well here, and I will lean. Okay, finally. Philly to 
two and a half. That's, so it's two. You have it as two unless it moved. It's two and a half in green line right now. So, so, it, so it must have moved since we started this. Two and a half now? Oh, man. Uh, I will lean Philly to cover and... Yeah, Just take him, to, take him to win. All right, they're going to win. Upset. Upset win. No, I'll take the Chargers. Chargers win. You are so wrong. I'm taking the Chargers. Uh-huh. How's that? Yeah, Chargers going to win and cover the two or two and a half. Cover both of it. Herbert's going to look good. So much difference this week anyway. against the against the Eagles. Eric could tell you it's not a it's not a consequential difference. Oh, the, Until it gets to three, you don't care. Okay, it doesn't. It's all the same. Yeah, it's all the same. And you know the other thing you should have done is bet it on Tuesday. <laughs> so here we are on Thursday. You should have been here on Tuesday. Except then. the line's moving that it's moving out. You're okay. Oh, okay. If, it's if, okay. If you like the Eagles, you're still good. Yeah, Eagles. In fact, it's getting better for you. Cleveland Browns at the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals by two and a half here at home, right down the street here. Uh, so Cleveland. Coming off of their drama, OBJ, no no longer a part of the team. Another excused absence from practice. Yeah, he's pretty much done. They're, they're, they're just going to release him or just let him sit at home and collect a paycheck? I don't know. You ever try negotiating that? No, <laughs> I don't think that would go well. What if I just sat at home? How about you continue to pay me and I yeah. just stop doing work? What would that be like? I don't think they'd go for it. No, you should you should try. Yeah? Give see it a if, shot. See if Chris. Just text Chris. And we can, uh, we're laying the ground. Like, he at least knows it's coming. Does right? he still listen? I was going to say, does he still listen to the podcast? Maybe he's expecting the call now. I don't know. Like, we're about an hour in. Yeah. He's probably still listening. He can't make it through the two and a half hours. It's a lot of But he usually gets, he, he's good for about an hour. We should test it. We should. You know, just keep dropping stuff in. Like, yeah. <laughs> sequentially more offensive things, like, throughout yeah. the podcast. So if he responds to this, yeah. like, you idiot, I'm not going to pay you to stay at home. Right. We know he listens an hour in. Uh-huh. We'll get to the two-hour mark, though, and have we'll some We'll drop other. something really bad. Yeah, then. really bad. And see what see if the boss is listening. Uh, but, yeah, I will uh, – it's a fascinating game here. and it's Cleveland's in last place yeah. in the AFC North. Right. Now. After all the hype, us included, and uh, OBJ essentially no longer part of the team. What are we looking for in this one? Uh, somebody actually sent us an email that's relevant to this. Uh, it's, our, it's our good buddy, John Paul – Veyer, I think, is how he insists on saying that's pronounced. <laughs> I like when you pronounce things. Well, look, I'm not French or French-Canadian, but I did some French in school, and that's not how I would pronounce that surname Okay, as a, as a, French, as a fluent Francophile over here uh, who did at least a couple of years of French in school. Anyway, that's how he pronounces it, and that's how we should say it. Uh, he was basically saying, look, we were saying heading into the year that the Browns had, like, the best roster in the NFL on paper. And if it wasn't for the fact that they were the Browns, if you like white labeled this roster, you would say they were a real Super Bowl contender. One of the right up there with Tampa Bay. Um, as it is, they're four and four in last place in the division, which is where you expect the Browns to be in the past. So, like, is it still the most ta- one of the most talented rosters in the NFL, or did we just completely misread that? I would suggest that a huge part of it not looking as good as it has is like Baker Mayfield is injured and not playing well. And we expected Baker Mayfield to have a career year this season. Um, Like, when you look at all the situation around him, there was basically no reason that you shouldn't have expected the best version of Baker Mayfield. And the best version of Baker Mayfield we've seen was last year, which spat out to, like, an overall grade of 85.7. If you factor in that, you know, terrible week one, when they hadn't learned the offense yet and were facing a really complex defense in Baltimore. Terrible week, whatever it was, against Pittsburgh. Four. Um, like, 
there are games that if you want to start throwing them out, I know you're a big fan of that, you can start boosting that 85, 86 grade up towards 90. This year should have looked like that for Baker Mayfield. And if Baker Mayfield is playing at like a 90 grade level this year, the Browns are the first place in that division and they're one of the best teams in the league. He isn't. He's playing at a 72, which is worse than anything he's done so far in the NFL, including that disastrous Freddie Kitchens year that got everybody fired. <clears throat> See, I think the other point here, so the Browns went 11-5 and five last year. And if you go back, we, we've hyped up the Browns for a couple of years now, right? 2019, they were bad. 2020, we hyped them up, they go 11-5. and five. I was also of the mind that last year the Browns could have been anywhere from seven or eight wins to 10 or 11 wins. And they ended up on the high end of that. Um, and, I, and I really think if they had won eight games last year, I wouldn't have been all that surprised. In part because it's a tough division, you know, just tough schedule in general. And, you know, it's not, they're not a dominant team. They have a very good roster in, you know, on the offensive line, uh, secondary on paper. But they still don't necessarily have the best receiving core, especially when OBJ is not a part of it. So they, they have a good, they have good depth, but they're also not, they're not great at, at say, an impact position like pass catcher, which, which brings you down a little bit. Plus just the general variance of, hey, they're a good team, but who have they lost to? They lost to the Chiefs, who should be are better than them. They lost to the Chargers, who are probably as good, if not better than them. They've lost to the Cardinals, who we've learned are better than them. And then they lost, the, the Steelers game is the disappointing loss. Because on paper, a healthy Baker Mayfield and the Browns should be a better team than the Steelers. But the Steelers decided, hey, we're going to turn back the clock and say, not, you know, not today, right? We're, the, we're still here in the AFC North. To me, if they're sitting here at 5-3... and three, it's not that big of a disappointment, but it's, it's like one game is completely changing the narrative on the Browns. And that was last week's game against the Steelers that puts the Browns at four and four. And all of a sudden they're a, a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? I think they'd still be a disappointment so far. I think they were sitting at five and three and their losses were to the Chiefs, Chargers and a bad one to the Cardinals. But it was just to those three teams. You're not yeah, sitting there but, like, man, what an underachieving team. But it's not just like it's not just. Did they win or lose? It's how are the performances? How have the performances been? Like they should have beaten the Chiefs. They threw that game away late in the game. No, that that part's that part's disappointing. Are they? They're they're a play away there. They're a play away in the Chargers game. Right. Like they're they're very close to being seven and one. Yeah. Right. They are. It, and it's and it's their own performance that is kind of preventing them from doing those. Like if they they're they're losing through silly coverage bust. They're losing through when they get the chance with the ball in their hands with 90 seconds to go. The entire offense just implodes and, and has a disaster. Like, they are the architects of their own demise at this point. And that's kind of part of my point that if Baker Mayfield was playing better, this wouldn't be a thing. The Browns would be better. They would be beating these teams and showing that they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Right now, they're not. Like, they're, they're losing games they should win. They're kind of bumbling around. They're, they're at 500. Right now, that puts them at the bottom of that division. <clears throat> they still have a good chance to make the playoffs, but like right now, you don't have confidence in them beating the best teams in the NFL because of those things. Yeah, so I think, I think there's a lot at play there. And this game is huge because you've got a 4-4 four and four Browns team that we mentioned is, um, I guess, disappointing given what we expected from the roster versus the Bengals who have exceeded our expectations. And we're one week removed from them being the number one seed in the AFC, but really... Uh, rough game last week against the New York Jets uh wake up call for the Bengals you know what what can they do to bounce back here against the Browns this week yeah I don't really understand what has happened or what happened to their defense last week other than Mike White um 
it was a they, they their defense has been really impressive so far this season they've had plus coverage from a lot of guys they've had decent uh performances up front and they just got beat up by the jets like that's a bit of a weird one right and and i don't know how much again that they they're just not used to being front runners you're coming off such an emotional win you know the, the so the thing that we praise the titans for which is like, how do you stay focused every single week, bring your best every single week? The Titans have done it, and clearly the Bengals, after a huge win against the Ravens, were unable to do it in a letdown game. So are they going to step back up, right? You've got a, a, it's a division game. It's the Browns. It's probably the best division in football because the Browns are in last at 4-4. Four and four, And I think the Bengals will, will bring their best once again. You mentioned how well their defense is playing. They are the ninth best this season, EPA per play allowed against the pass overall it's really good but it was not good last week against the jets there's also like this whole odell beckham thing is probably not insignificant like the fact that they basically said sit at home don't come in to work today <laughs> well you know the browns offense is going to be better right like do we have enough evidence now that it's like all right but, no obj is a is a win for the browns so the browns hierarchy have seemingly determined that they are now better off without odell beckham jr that he, is, he has become a bigger headache than he is worth, given the fact that he isn't producing within this offense. Or, to be fairer to him, that this offense isn't producing with him in it. Um, but there are players that I think are on Odell Beckham's side of this. Like, John Johnson was one of the players that apparently liked his dad's Instagram post. He's also come out and said, like, we are a better team with Odell Beckham in the lineup. Like, simple. I, I would imagine there's a few of those guys out there. Like Odell, one of the reasons I think that Odell Beckham becomes or has tended to become a problem for certain teams is he is he's a guy that people gravitate to. He yeah. is a leader. He doesn't like he carries a portion of the locker room with him when things start to go south, which is problematic because now you have a divided locker room and now that's not helpful to anybody. So you know, Baker Mayfield is taking these questions of, like, he's trying to answer this stuff. I, I don't know how much he's involved in any of this. Like, he says, yeah, we just had a conversation. I'm sure it would be fine. Um, but the team apparently has drawn that line and said, stay at home. Stop stop coming into work. You're a problem. But not everybody in the Browns is going to be happy with that. And now you have to play a game potentially with half the locker room pissed off. Yeah, it's... Uh... Now that's the, the the initial email that uh, was it Jean Paul. Yes, the initial email was like, "Is this just the Browns being the Browns? Like that is old school Browns type of stuff." Then right, just complete. You built this really good roster, and then the the wide receiver who's disgruntled is taking your your high highly paid safety with him or whatever. You're also I can't believe you got went full millennial looking into likes on Instagram. I that's just what started it. I have since, I'm not basing everything on that. I'm simply saying that this is a second piece of evidence. John Johnson was one of the people that liked that post. And now, uh, according to Jake Trotter, um, the majority of the locker room would love to have him in this building. Flat out was the quote from John Johnson. The yeah, majority I mean, I could, of the locker room. I could believe that. So if you're like telling, like, if you're the front office saying, sit your ass at home, Odell, that's a lot of people that aren't happy with that. Oh, man. It's a mess in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, Jack Conklin's out for uh, for a little while with a dislocated left elbow at right tackle. Wow. Denzel Ward. And the, um, the other part of this is, again, when you read the Browns injury report, OBJ, of course. But Donovan Peoples, uh, questionable. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Jedrick Wills, 
J.C. Treader, Malik McDowell, Joe Jackson, Malik Jackson, Jarvis Landry, Jadavian Clowney, Denzel Ward, Tack McKinley, the other A.J. Green. All questionable. Bengals are bouncing back this week, right? I would possibly, yeah. By the way, I was just curious what Odell was listed as on the injury report. Uh, shoulder slash personal matter. Personal matter. Yeah. Took to social. Slow, shoulder slash not injury related <laughs> personal matter. I'll take the Bengals to cover the two and a half here. Uh, um, no, I'm sticking with the Browns. You just talked about the locker room divided. And yeah. You think it's all going to be fine? Uh-huh. This is where Baker thrives. Division. <laughs> it's kind of true, though. Uh, you take Odell off the, f- off the team. You make everybody mad, and that's when Baker shows up. This is another Burrow wins a big division game. Burrow versus Baker. This is, this is a huge game. So you're going to take Cleveland, and I'll take the Bengals by th- uh, two and a half here. Minnesota Vikings at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens are favor- favored by six. They're coming off the bye. Vikings had the disappointing loss on Sunday Night Football against the uh, Cooper Rushes of the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys. The Coopers. The Coopers. Cooper and Cooper. Uh, uh, okay, I'm going to read your note out loud here because we've got notes. How will the Vikings manage to keep this one close? Yeah. Because it doesn't matter if they're facing Cooper Rush, Lamar Jackson, Peyton Manning, Joe yep. Montana. They will win or lose by three. Yeah. So yeah, how are they going to keep it close? There's no reason this game should be close, but it will be because it's a Vikings game. Somehow they always do that. There's a reason. No, there's not. Vikings number three in EPA per, uh, per pass allowed. P- EPA per play on uh, in the pass game. Uh-huh. And uh, Baltimore's coming off their rough loss. Also a against bye. The Bengals. Yeah. And a bye. So they didn't win last week. Neither team won last week. <laughs> yeah. Right? The Ravens didn't at least lose one of their best defensive linemen last week like the Vikings did. Denell Hunter gone for the year. Yeah, that's a tough blow. That is a very tough blow. I mean, here's blow. the thing. Even if you stop the Baltimore Ravens passing, okay, then now you're facing the best run def- or the best run offense in the NFL. Like, now you just got to stop Lamar Jackson running all over you. Yeah, they good haven't luck been that. as good so far this season, though. And uh, that's what I'm curious to look at here. We've talked a lot about the Ravens and Lamar Jackson throwing the ball down the field, high average depth of target, big plays that the Ravens have created. Will they have those opportunities against the Vikings? What Are there going to be changes to this offense? Because, again, they've, they've had games where they've gotten away from the run game a little bit. It hasn't always been their uh, – they haven't always completely relied on the run this year, the Ravens. So did they come out of the bye saying, let's get back to that, old, old Ravens football and creating those big plays off play action? Are they going to be more of a pass-first attack? I think in this one, it's a game they revert back to the run game because of the way Minnesota – and. You know, Zimmer's defense have been playing. The Baltimore Ravens are number two in the NFL in yards before contact per play on offense. Uh, by the way, do you know who's number one? Yards before con- Cardinals. New. Who? The Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe. Oh, just from a run game perspective? Maybe they should run the ball more. Um, I mean, the Chiefs' run blocking has been outstanding. Yeah. Their by run- the way, they like, yeah. I, you, I mean, it seems insane to suggest that a team with Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback, should lead on the run game some more. But the Chiefs' offensive line is actually built to run the ball. They can't stop fumbling it away when they pass the ball. Mahomes is in some weird funk. Seriously, run the ball more. Like, yeah. just start. Like, you are actually, I mean, Gore comes out of nowhere and is having this insane game. You're like, no, we got to take it out of his hands to throw some more turnovers. Like, what? Just run it. 
stop. Not to circle back to the Chiefs again, but there were plays. They were they were running I formation under center. Like they don't they do that, right? Right. There were there were times when it felt like they might revert back, and they haven't. But so that's anyway, impressive. Back to my point. Baltimore number two in the NFL in yards before contact per rush on offense. Minnesota Vikings number thirty one in the NFL in yards before contact allowed. Oh, there's a stat for on you. defense. So. As much as Baltimore might not have been quite as devastating as it's been in the past, it's still plenty good. And the Vikings' run defense is still plenty bad without uh, Danelle Hunter in the lineup now. Yeah, they've got one good uh, run defense grade this season, essentially, uh, against the Panthers a couple weeks ago, the Vikings, that is. And that is where, you know, your, your investment in the big boys up front, the Dalvin Tomlinsons of the world... That's where that's supposed to be. Right. Michael Pierce. Like, Michael there's Pierce. no reason they should be that bad. And yet yeah. They have Those been. are the guys that are supposed to be um, the additions that they've made. They're supposed to be able to shore that up. So, yeah, I don't necessarily love that matchup. And then you also have a Ravens team, though, on the other side. They, they like to play man coverage, like to blitz. So this is the Cousins versus the Blitz game. Cousin, is, this, is this one of those games where he makes some of those you know, crazy decisions under pressure? Or is it like, man, the Ravens actually shouldn't be trying to man up against Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen on the outside because you get burnt. Yeah, uh, Cousins has been carving up the blitz so far this season. PFF grade of 90, yes. 91, in fact, uh, against the blitz. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions, five big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays. Uh, blitzing Cousins has not gone tremendously well for teams so far this season. So, you know, the Ravens have shown that they, you know, can revert back to other game plans as they did against the Chiefs. Do you treat the Vikings like the Chiefs, where they sat back and like well, let the Vikings take all the underneath stuff? Because that's the other thing Cousins has done is short average. It's a little bit like this year. it's a little bit like going after Trayvon Diggs, and it's a bit boom or bust. You should go after him because he actually gives up quite a lot of yardage and and successful plays. But it's risky because he will burn you with an interception and a pick six if you get it wrong. Um, pressuring Kirk Cousins is like the way pressuring Kirk Cousins turns Kirk Cousins into a bad quarterback and not even honestly pressuring him just moving him if you can just get him off his spot that's not a that's more of a that's execution not a strategy. correct but one of the ways you achieve pressure is by sending the blitz generally speaking like a lot your rate of pressure goes up for every team in the NFL when you blitz people more but Kirk Cousins carves up the blitz so now you're in this delicate balancing situation of do we go after Kirk Cousins with extra guys to create pressure where we know he fails or is that too risky because he carves up the blitz so far this year that's that's basically the question like I think it's different to Mahomes where you know that he will carve up the blitz and he does pretty well in pressure so there's no real win you just back up and let him like torpedo himself right now but with Cousins I think it is different because getting to pre- getting to him and pressuring him is like definitely what you want to do and you have a much greater chance of doing that by blitzing here's the uh the number that stands out to me this year yeah we every week we're on here talking about the ravens blitz and how much they love to do it and all that stuff their epa per play allowed they're only 26th in the nfl epa per play allowed when they blitz this year right next to the they're just below the lions and the texans in this particular number colts are the worst by the way um, but the but this it, it's their, it's what they like to do. It's their DNA and all of that stuff has not been effe- has not been effective. And I think this does circle back to before the season. You lose Marcus Peters, and that secondary looks so much better if it's Marcus Peters plus Marlon Humphrey back there. And they have not necessarily had that. So 
Um, that would be the thing to watch is the Ravens sticking with what they love to do, even though it hasn't been terribly effective so far this year. Uh, line is six, and to your point, we know it's going to be close, so I know you're taking the Vikings to cover. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on the Vikings covering. I think the Ravens win, though. Yeah. There we go. We're in agreement once again. Nothing to yell about and to argue about. New England Patriots at the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are uh, getting three and a half. So Patriots favored three and a half on the road in Carolina. You've got the uh, Stephon Gilmore revenge game. Yeah. Panthers-Patriots. And he had a pretty good performance in his debut for Carolina. He did. Not even 20 snaps, but he had the game-sealing interception. Uh, did a nice job. Uh, I mentioned a lot about the New England Patriots being uh, winning the games that they should and losing the games that they should until last week. They, they upset the Chargers. We're back to, for the Patriots, a game that they should win. They're favored against the Panthers, and they could get over 500. And all of a sudden, you're talking about, hey, the New England Patriots are right in that playoff mix, and they're doing it with a rookie quarterback. It is a – every game's huge, but another one that kind of gets – Potentially New England back on track or Carolina back into the outskirts of the playoff picture in the NFC. <laughs> the outskirts. The outskirts. Okay. Because they still have to play some pretty good teams the rest of the way here, the Panthers. Yeah. What are you looking do. for in this one? Um, it, it's an interesting game for New England, I think, definitely. Um, I'm curious to see what kind of performance Sam Darnold has because Sam Darnold against Bill Belichick has, this has typically gone pretty badly for Sam Darnold. Remember, that was the seeing ghosts game, right? Patriots yes. threw so much at him that Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts. Sam Darnold has a career PFF grade of 35.6 against the New England Patriots, um, which, you know, it's not like Sam Darnold has a particularly high career PFF grade full stop, right. but that's like half, well, a little more than half of what it is when he faces the Patriots. So what does Bill Belichick have dialed up to, have, to create the, the seeing ghosts nightmare for Sam Darnold again? Darnold has reverted back mostly into Darnold. He did play well last week. His best throws didn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. He was pretty good, though. Um, but, yeah, New England's defense, they, they're, not, they're not elite this year, but they've had those games. You know, they did a nice job against the Bucs. They did a nice job last week against the Chargers. They've had those games where it's just, it's just tough to complete passes. They do a, they do a good job on the back end because uh, they play tough man coverage, and man coverage can be a little volatile. You know, but if you if you don't give the quarterback passing windows, which is essentially you have to do, like if it's man coverage and you're somewhat tight, quarterback's got to make throws. You got to make some tight window throws against man coverage, and I do think that's uh, that's a challenge for Darnold here. There's also, by the way, no guarantee that Darnold is back from concussion protocol. True. So there's the PJ Walker. Is he Philip now? I forget. PJ Philip Walker factor here. <laughs> I believe he's Philip. I think he was PJ. He was PJ when we started grading. No, no, no. It's PJ Double. again. It's PJ again. He's gone back to being PJ. Okay, great. PJ, PJ Walker. Uh, that changes things as well because I, you know, don't does think it though? Great. I think I think I think Darnold's better. Uh, he, Darnold is better, but uh, Darnold against New England. Yeah. True. Darnold against New England is a thirty-five grade. PJ Walker is probably capable of a thirty-five grade. Perhaps. The, uh, the Panthers started out the season with uh, the best pressure rate in the NFL. They were getting un unblocked pressure at a high rate. They're, de they're down to ninth. So this defense that was doing a great job of scheming it up and doing a lot of unique things on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Panthers have kind of crept back toward average defensively. So they're not creating the same type of pressure. If they do, again, again, they're ninth. It's good. They've got the pretty good edge rushers and the whole thing. But 
Uh, Mac Jones making some nice plays under pressure, getting rid of the ball quickly. He had a game last week where he missed more throws than he normally did, but uh, still ended up grading well because he made some nice downfield passes, just didn't show up again on the stats or like in touchdowns or anything like that. But Mac Jones continues to play pretty good football for the for a rookie. Yeah, but this I think will be a this will be a pretty good challenge for him. I think Carolina's defense is good. It is creative. It does show some interesting things. Uh, also, like seeing what Stephon Gilmore does have left in the tank is going to be a fascinating watch for the rest of the season. Like, where is he in this um, declining world of you know an old cornerback? So I think there's a lot of things to watch in this game. Where are you leaning? What do you think? Uh, I will go. I'm going to say Panthers pull the upset. I don't feel good about it because it's an upset. The Panthers pull the upset. Stephon Gilmore, another interception in this one. Huh. I'm just just diving into the storyline here. New England wins and covers. There we go. Sam Darnold is going to have a terrible game if he plays. You're overrating the... And if he doesn't play, PJ will have a terrible game. Yeah, I don't think Carolina Carolina wins if... uh, I only think they win if Darnold starts. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they win either way. So if PJ starts, this one does not count on my record. <laughs> right? That's the rule. Is it? Yeah, that's the rule. It's like a pretty weak rule. Chicago Bears at the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Monday night football. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. I can't wait. Justin Fields in prime time. Every throw. Every throw. Where's that? What's the, uh, the meme with the cat? The cat typing. Everybody's going to be typing away cat style. Oh, I can't wait to have a take on Justin Fields. See, he's not ready. See, he's ready. Oh, the Bears are holding him down. Oh, Matt Nagy, he shouldn't even be allowed in the building because Fields has his best game when he's in COVID protocol. The takes are going to be off the chain. It's going to be great. I don't want to live through that. Can't wait for next Monday night. We get to watch one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL and Justin Fields. We get to watch... Big Ben, who's like a grandpa moving around back there. It's it's going to be awesome. So much to look at here. I just, I don't want to deal with the roller coaster of of a primetime Justin Fields game. The takes. Dan O is is getting ready. He's getting ready. He's getting like ready for both sides. He's got like every take. He's just going to start firing them off one after the other. He's got them all in the Too soon. Ah, idiots. You thought he wasn't ready. It's just going to be five minutes. See that one play? Right. And you wanted a bench field. Yeah. You wanted to keep him off the field. We just saw that. Hashtag fire Nagy. He's just going to have them all five minutes spread apart. As I said, the bigger uh, – I've said before, the bigger story here for the Bears, they're, they're, they're getting six points at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, the Steelers are four and three. They just scored 15 points last week against the Browns to win, 15 to 10, on a tipped pass in the end zone that got caught, right? The, the Steelers have issues yeah. still, and they're four and three. Poised to go five and three. And the Bears are getting six because this is the worst Bears roster in four or five years. It's the worst roster that they've had in a while. To me, that's the bigger story than the, the field stuff. If you're just looking at the Bears this year, Fields is awesome to watch and see his development and see this and that happening. But um, the way Chicago's defense has kind of fallen apart a little bit, offensive line, all the various issues that the Bears have, not having enough weapons next to Allen Robinson – all of that stuff, I think, is a bigger issue for the Bears in this one. And that's why Pittsburgh's favored by six, despite having very few explosive elements to that offense. Yeah. Um, I don't love that Steelers offense at all. I think um, it hasn't given a ton of reasons for optimism for basically anything. 
they have got some weapons they're not able to properly utilize them because of everything that they're doing uh chicago's defensive front in particular is capable of having disruptive games where they really cause some problems um i, I mean i think like obviously feels is the thing to watch in this game this is another one of those games that has the potential to be problematic like oh man like they with tj watt cameron hayward yeah yeah like the Steelers, it's gonna it's, be a lot of pressure. Their defense is not as good as it was last year, but it's still pretty nasty at times, and they're still well capable of causing a bad offensive line some major problems. So, you know, is this going to be one of those games where Fields looks like a disaster, or can they get can they get it under control just enough to give him the kind of platform to make some plays? I will say again, last week I thought the Bears did a really nice job. You know, moving fields, moving the pocket and all that stuff. And it led to some easy throws. It led to a few scrambles. There were more opportunities for fields to tap into his athleticism. Um, I want to see more consistency throwing from within the pocket. But if you're just trying to maximize what he can do now, having him run seven, eight, nine, ten times a game, whether it's a scramble or a design run, is a is a good way to, you know, to move the ball, to to maximize offense. So I think the Bears have to keep up with that. I, I think we're looking at a potential, as you say, disastrous situation, though, with this, with this Pittsburgh front. So I'll take, the, I'll take the Steelers to cover the six. Uh, yeah, same. Both taking Pittsburgh. God. Can't wait for the roller coaster ride. Pittsburgh covering six. Are they even going to score six? Hey, they won by five last week against the Browns. Great. It, it's one of those things that looks rough on paper, and then you, you watch the game play out. It's like, well, they won by five, you know, mm. by scoring 15. <laughs> last week just for some perspective when it comes to these you know it comes to the lines here uh las vegas raiders at the new york giants more more drama obviously for las vegas uh, over these last couple weeks they're sitting atop the afc west all by themselves and they're favored by three going to the giants giants coming off that monday night football tough loss what is the uh what does the vegas robert de niro guy say about the vegas raiders uh, the guy in Vegas has Vegas given three. Given <laughs> three. Yeah. Okay. How's that? I like it. Yeah. Um, it, this kind of feels like the potential for a real letdown game for the Raiders. Like, they have been through the ringer recently in terms of just emotional, like, the emotional roller coaster. You know, d- poor old Derek Carr. Do you see any of his comments yesterday, like the interviews that he I was did. doing? Yeah. And they were kind of asking him, you know, what is his reaction as he reached out to Henry Ruggs, all these kinds of things. Like that dude in the last few weeks has had his head coach that he loves just yeah. removed from him. Now, like one of his friends, Henry Ruggs, gets into this hideous situation where like, I mean, it's it's all Ruggs' fault. Like there's no, yeah. it's not like an accident that happened to him. It's something he did for his own decision making. And he's like saying things like you know did, did he not know that like i would be there for him at three in the yeah. morning like could i have done more i thought i thought Carr's comments were great oh absolutely was, like 100 like i you know he's attacking things with forgiveness but it it highlighted like just the things that guy's going through right yeah. now mentally and in, and behind all that like looming is hey you got to get back in the film room and prepare for the game right like this is these are the kinds of things that people spend days, weeks, months grieving or working through, processing, and Carr has to like package it all up, throw it in the back, and prepare for the New York Giants. Right. It, it just feels like maybe that's the kind of thing that finally kind of blows up this week, and the Raiders just don't play that well. 
from a from a football standpoint. And it would be entirely understandable, by the way. I'm yeah, absolutely. Criticizing them for it. If we're going to keep harping on how difficult it is for the Titans just to play like tough AFC games, every right? Just have week. a few difficult games consecutively. Yeah. Like what what happens when you've got like two of the most important people in your life four weeks ago are no longer around one because he got disgraced and booted out of the building and the other one because he's trying to stave off jail time for killing somebody if, if we can reverse course for a couple uh, a couple years back too and just go the the henry ruggs move from a football standpoint remember we talked about Derek carr being a little conservative throwing the ball underneath for a while and we said maybe having a speedster like a ruggs is going to like create this more aggressive Derek Carr, which will tap into a, an incredible skill set. Like he throws the ball down the field extremely well. It took a year. You know, last year it was Nelson Aguilar was the deep threat. Ruggs had been becoming this deep threat. He was averaging 20 per catch and leading the team in receiving yards and all that stuff. And if nothing else, uh, creating uh, just a different element to this Raiders offense that they uh, not Ruggs not creating, but over the last two years, Aguilar and Ruggs have been those different downfield threats that the Raiders have not had um, so just from like a football standpoint it does change things a little bit or puts a little bit more pressure on the Raiders to uh, go back to Darren Waller go back to Hunter Renfro or Brian Edwards has to pick up a bigger role perhaps being that guy yeah and plays and, down the field as and well. all of a sudden they don't really have that deep threat like right. remember preseason we were saying hey they they bought John uh John, John Brown, Brown as yeah. like deep threat insurance and if the Henry Ruggs thing doesn't work out John Brown is sitting there waiting in the wings and we know he's a really good player in that role they end up getting rid of John Brown now Henry Ruggs is no longer with the team all of a sudden like who is your deep threat I mean it basically has to be by default Brian Edwards because he's the only player that even but like vaguely has the skill set to do that it's T.O. in the fourth quarter in or overtime um, so all of a sudden, like baby T.O., T.O., overtime T.O., Otto, needs to show up in quarters one through three, on if it's even if it's just as a deep threat. Now, the fact that he's done it in fourth quarter and overtime shows that he can do it, but now you got to do it consistently. Uh, on the other side of the ball, Raiders pass rush, still number one in the NFL. Yeah. Giants def- uh, offensive line. <laughs> They also remain near Still the bad. bottom. They, they moved up to third worst in pass blocking grade. Very close. It's a close battle. If you're keeping tabs on the worst lowest, offensive line in the NFL, yeah, the worst pass blocking grades in the NFL, the Dolphins are now number one, ranking 32nd in, really in pass blocking grade. Dolphins are worst. Vikings, second worst. And the Giants, a very close third worst. So um, just uh, from a, an on paper matchup, I think even, even with the emotional aspect of things, I think the Giants' off, a defense is going to have a tough time stopping this Raiders' offense, and I think the pass rush is going to be a factor with yeah. the, the Raiders getting after Daniel Jones and the Giants. It really should be. Um, they don't have a good offensive line at all. The Giants, I think that's a like it's it's one of the main reasons that they've sort of stumbled a lot in re, in recent weeks. Losing, imagine a year ago being like, hey, losing Andrew Thomas is a really big problem for this yeah. offensive line. Losing Andrew Thomas has been a huge problem for this offensive line. It is. He was playing better. So Also, you know, putting Billy Price in the starting lineup has been a big problem for this offensive line. Like, certainly has. They have some major issues, and teams are absolutely wrecking them right now. So I do agree that the Vegas defense is actually a really big favorite in terms of shutting down this New York Giants offense. Um, and really, like... I think they match up with the Giants pretty well. Like, my only hesitancy would be just what they're going through right now and whether that leads them to come out flat. Yeah, we saw before Gruden got fired, that was when 
the Raiders kind of laid an egg against the Bears, right? They did not have a very good game against the Bears. Um, they did bounce back extremely well the two weeks after that. It's tough to predict yeah. what that's going to be. But you know, to your point, if if you do see an emotional letdown this week, I wouldn't be surprised. I'll still I'll still take the Raiders to cover the three in New York against the Giants, two and six Giants. Uh, I will take the Giants to cover that. Taking the Giants, but not to win. All right, and if you if you want to prepare for the game the way we are, using all these grades and stats, don't forget the promo codes. NFL Pod twenty five percent off. Go get your premium stats. Go do it. All right, Denver Broncos at the Dallas Cowboys. Nine point favorite Dallas Cowboys. I think that means that the uh, the calf is good. Dak's mm. going to be back. Yeah. Don't need Cooper Rush this week. No. Though does that really move the line anymore? I mean, we've seen Cooper. We've Rush, seen right? Cooper They're Rush in, in prime time. It, the Denver defense is disappointed after a strong start. So now uh, it should have been the matchup should have been Dak versus a Fangio defense that does a nice job, of, you know, preventing big plays and all that stuff. They just haven't. That hasn't been uh, the Broncos necessarily this year. They've shown they've shown flashes of it, but that still should be one of the better matchups though this week, right? Dak versus the Fangio D in that secondary. You would hope um, the, def- the the line, by the way, might be up as far as ten, depending on where you look. It's moving. Um, yeah, like it, it should be, but. That Denver defense hasn't been playing particularly well recently. They, oh, I know. For all the talent that they've got stockpiled, admittedly everywhere except linebacker where everybody got injured, um, they, they really haven't shown it that much. Their defense bailed them out last week. It did show up big in critical situations when the offense essentially tossed the ball back and said, go win the game to Washington. Their defense showed up big. Patrick Sertan had a pass breakup. They got a sack on the next play. Like, their defense won that game by killing that last drive when it could easily have given up a, a big play. So it's it's still there. Like, it still has the talent to show up and be good. Um, but it's not been as good as we thought it might have been earlier in the season. Also, for as much as it's probably the right move from a long-term team-building standpoint, Von Miller was their only real source of pass rush. Right. Like, they really don't have much outside of him, and he's no longer there. So all of a sudden, you're looking at this group and saying, well, who's getting pressure on the quarterback and how much does that impact the good cornerbacks we have on the back end? I I mean, I <laughs> there's a reason this line is hit, hitting double digits. If, if we could just touch on the Denver perspective on this Von Miller trade, we have spent all of our time on the Rams perspective. And I think you spent a little bit of time yesterday, not justifying, but trying to explain away, I think, what the Rams are thinking and why they're willing to take a Von Miller for half a year for two draft picks if you're other teams around the league aren't you excited that there's a team like the rams though that are willing to do that like if i'm the broncos i am making that trade every time take the emotional aspect out of it the fact that von miller's been a bronco for life he's been there since 2011 he's one of the best players in franchise history they won a super bowl with him he's awesome if you take the emotional aspect out of it you're making that trade every single time if you're the denver broncos sure. you're sitting there at four and four they're not in this world where they're like, are we contenders? Are we not? I think they... I think they are. So I think it's actually encouraging that they made that move despite their record and where they are. I'm not saying they're look, not... But but they... Right. They are, they're willing to take a forward-looking approach despite having a 4-4 four and four record right. and being in the mix in the AFC. You could easily... I think Denver is actually aware of where they stand right now. So they are 4-4... Four and four, and within that division, you could easily make an argument that why would like we're in we're still contenders like we are um, right there in a division that hasn't been nearly as dominant as we expected it to be. You've got the Vegas Raiders sitting at top five and two, four and three with the Chargers. And then we're level with Kansas City on four and four. 
right? Okay, it's we're bottom of the division. It's not where you want to be. On the other hand, we're like a game and a half out of first place. Same record as the Chiefs, as expected. Right. So you could easily look at that and say, we're a buying team right now. Let's go, let's go find a piece that makes us slightly better so we can win one of these games. And all of a sudden, we're in second place chasing a wild card and we're in the playoffs. Instead, they were like, okay, we're certainly not going to like, it's not going to be a fire sale. We're not getting rid of everything. We're not tearing it down, rebuilding, but we're not going to pass up a couple of draft picks for a guy like Von Miller, who is declining because of a potential shot at the playoffs this year. Like this is a longer term vision than that. And they've been prepared to move on from one of their best players to get a couple of draft picks, not just move on, but essentially buy the draft pick by eating $9 million of a salary. Yeah, and I think that's a smart move. Yeah, like, what's I think nine million again? Nine million paying that this year is not hindering future team building decisions, and you're getting those two draft picks. So I, I, I applaud the Broncos for the move. Again, taking the emotional aspect of trading Avon Miller out of it. Um, if the Broncos are going to make a play here, come back to Teddy Bridgewater, who's having a solid season, completing seventy percent of his passes and adjusted completion percentage is high, even with a higher average depth of target. But the, the big-time throws are still not there for Teddy. Another year where he's got more turnover-worthy plays than, than big-time throws. That is, he did that last year in Carolina, and he did it in 2015, the last time he was a starter for an extended period of time. Like If Teddy's ever going to turn this thing around and become more than just a bridge quarterback, I mean, that's the number. In a year where they're throwing the ball down the field more, he's got to start hitting a few, more of those, a few more of those throws. If he does that this week, if Teddy hits three or four big-time throws, which he hasn't had more than two in a game this year, but if he hits three or four this week, that's how you compete with the Cowboys in their offense. Yeah, which he isn't. I mean, let's be honest. Teddy is Teddy at this point. I'm just <laughs> trying to give this this scenario where, like, what does it take for the Broncos to pull an upset when they're nine, ten-point fa- uh, underdogs? It's Teddy hitting some of those throws down the field. Like we gave him a shot earlier in the season where we were getting the best Teddy we've ever seen. It's like, oh, maybe Teddy does have more in the tank than people gave him credit for. And this is the ceiling. Only it really isn't. It was just some bad teams they were playing. And all of a sudden, Teddy has gone back to being Teddy Bridgewater. Do it for my Teddy. It's still Teddy. Wants wants a Teddy to root for. It still may end up being a career year for him, but it's like, if it is, it's a career year within the margin of error, not a career year in terms of, oh, Teddy is different than we thought he was. Like, he is still the same guy, which is very limited in terms of how aggressive he is with the football, just not pushing it down the field enough, or at least not completing enough of those passes. And a guy who puts it in harm's way more than a player on that kind of spectrum, on that style of play can do if you're going to be good like he has this he has a higher turnover worthy play rate so far this year than Patrick Mahomes and obviously doesn't come with the same benefits of what why Mahomes isn't ESPN leading with that story Bridgewater's turnover worthy plays they're only talking about Mahomes sorry to believe I assume I'm not watching um Jerry Judy came back played 38 snaps last week so nice to have they're not going to get KJ Hamler back but Jerry Judy Cortland Sutton Cortland Sutton and uh free agent to be Tim Patrick all out there together i think denver can keep this one close i think that's a lot of points it is a lot of for the cowboys cowboys got a pretty good defense now flying around the football but uh in dallas you know in the controlled passing environment i think denver is going to move the ball a little bit so i'll take i'll take denver to cover the nine or especially the (laughs) ten okay if it's nine or ten yes take denver to cover for Uh, little reason here i will take dallas to win and cover there you go. 
couple more games to discuss here. Atlanta Falcons at the New Orleans Saints. Saints favored by six. Are you surprised by that? They're favored by six, and we still don't know who their quarterback is, right? No, I think Sean Payton's playing coy. <laughs> of course. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to prepare for Trevor Simeon or Taysom? Don't know who you don't know who you're preparing for. Or Ian. Could be Ian Book. Surely you you prepare for Taysom on the basis that, like, if it's Simeon, who cares? You know what I mean? <laughs> I love Like, if you prepare for Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill gets thrown I out there, it. at least there's some things you need to worry about that you might not have thought about during the week, you know? So, oh, no, there's a whole world of, like, RPOs and... It's Monday and morning. QB powers that we haven't thought about. If it's Trevor Simeon, you've been love. preparing for Taysom Hill all week, what difference does it make? I would just love to be in that room. You're, you're on the Atlanta Falcons staff. You roll in defensive coaching staff Monday morning. and Big dilemma, guys. We don't know if it's Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon. Right. And you just volunteer and say, let's prepare for Taysom. Because uh, if it's Simeon, who cares? Uh-huh. We're going to be fine. Yeah. And everybody's nodding like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. The offense might change with Taysom. He's got fair some point. unique things. And if they roll Trevor out there, I think we'll be okay. Right. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Simeon didn't play all that great last week. Missed a ton of throws, threw that interception in the end zone. I don't think Simeon's going to be the guy <laughs> in New Orleans. So it's going to be I expect it to be Taysom. Simeon's going to be the guy. Uh, Saints are doing a great job. Uh, lowest completion percentage against on 10-plus yard throws. Again, the thing that's going to keep the – the Saints are the outlier among the best NFC teams. They're the only team that is not – driven by the quarterback or driven by the pass game among all the top teams in the NFC. And I think we'll see how long they can keep that up. We'll see how long they can rely on a defense that does a really nice job of avoiding those plays. You know, a defense that has um, kept them in games and, you know, they've they crushed the Packers. They just beat the Bucks, And, you know, the Saints are dangerous, but at some point you're going to have to score more points, be a little bit more efficient on offense, and I don't know if uh, if they'll be able to do that with Taysom. And, no. and, a, and a below average receiving core is the other aspect of it. Not just Yeah, I mean, not just below average, but bad. No Michael Thomas coming back to, you know, rescue the situation. Deontay Harris is awesome, though. Is yeah. Thing. Deontay Harris is great. Albeit in a pretty limited role. I would I would feed him the ball. Not, yeah, I mean, but not how? All the now, t- you got, now you got Taysom out here not being able to throw the ball longer He's than not 35 yards. I mean, not that Deontay Harris is exactly Tyree Kill, but boy, does he have some game-changing ability. And I think yeah. like Harris on quick outs and comebacks because of his speed element, he can get open there. He's good with the ball in his hands. He's an outstanding punt returner. And he will get behind the defense once or twice a game if, you know, Taysom, you know, <laughs> if the sundial gets him there. It's actually, it, it's an interesting matchup because you got a Saints offense that now doesn't really have a quarterback and... Or receivers <laughs> um, against an Atlanta defense that's terrible. And on the other side, you've got Atlanta offense. It's actually kind of doing pretty well right now. Matt Ryan's been playing quite well recently. Until last week. Kyle, Yeah, until last week. Kyle Pitts has been really good until last week. Cordero Patterson is really good. Like, they've got some players. Calvin Ridley being missing is a blow, obviously. Um, against the Saints defense, is actually really good. So it's like it's strength on strength and weakness on weakness on, like, either side of the ball. Yeah, it's uh, this was the uh, this was the dead whale game a couple years ago. Yeah, for you, uh-huh. that was now that was a very bad Falcons team. Yeah, that beat a very good Saints team, yeah. and it made no sense. Yes, whatsoever. So I don't think this is. Are you ready to make that pick at some point? The dead whale, the pick? exploding whale. Is there a is there a dead whale 
is there a dead whale in in the NFL this year? Like, who would be the Leviathan that's now washed up and decaying on the beach? I don't know if there were ever a Leviathan, but we haven't talked about the Texans or Dolphins yet. Yeah, well, they're not. They, yeah, they're they, still washed up on the beach. Right. They're just. They're not a dead whale. They're dead something else rotting on the beach. Okay. Well, we'll see if that ever comes up. I, I think six feels a lot like like a lot. Again, the Atlanta def- uh, offense disappointed last week in that game against Carolina. They had, they had felt like they were finding their way. I bought into Atlanta, and they disappointed me last week with Matt Ryan playing pretty well and Kyle Pitts showing off those awesome first-round skills that he has. Uh, but uh, I think I, I like I like Atlanta to bounce back here. I'm doing it again. Did I just do it again? Doing what? Taking Atlanta. Yeah. They're going to break my heart again. We'll take the Saints to cover. By six? Yeah. I don't care who's a quarterback. It doesn't matter. Even if it's Simeon, yeah, who you wouldn't even prepare for. No. Wow. I mean, look, Atlanta's defense is that bad. I think there's an emotional letdown maybe for the Saints too. They they play well against the Bucs. I think they put a lot into beating the Bucs and proving that they're still you know a, a force in the division. I'll take Atlanta to cover, maybe even pull the upset. Wow. Atlanta pulls the upset. Atlanta's winning this game. Whoa. Against the Saints, because I don't think that if Taysom doesn't throw the ball efficiently, the Falcons defense doesn't matter as much. He's usually been pretty efficient. He was good against the Falcons. And hit a deep ball. I know. It's the deep stuff. We got two more games to discuss here. And we'll see how long we we spend on them. The Houston Texans at the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins favored by six and a half here. God. Yeah. And then we've got the Buffalo Bills at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who made this Bills schedule? They've been favored by like 15 points in every game. Yeah, it's working out pretty well for them. They've got one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. Uh-huh. The I do Jags. Like, I, I do like a Bills radio spot every week, and they're like, you know, are there, what are the things we could change to get better, you know, on the offense or defense? And I'm like, dude, you're going to win the division. You're, you're cruising towards the playoffs. Just yeah. sit back and start thinking about January. You You'd don't like, even dude, need. The, just, uh, the coffin corner punt game could use some work here. <laughs> just, just put it on cruise control, sit back, you know, hit the Tesla auto drive thing where you put, could put your feet up and start reading a book or whatever. It's like, forget about it. Stay healthy. Uh... What are you doing? I'm just reading some Schefter news about the Giants. Uh, Perfect. COVID makes, lockdown makes, or something. Makes for great radio. Slash podcasting. Take your time. Don't worry about it. Based off of several false positives. People will wait. Yeah, they had like 13 positive tests and only one of them was a real positive. Oh, that's encouraging. That's great. Oh, there's also breaking news. Okay. Texans have announced that Tyrod Taylor will start Sunday versus Miami. There we go. Yes. Quick, hammer right. the line. Hammer I'm, it. I'm back interested Texans. in this game. Texans getting six and a half. The life in the studio just went through the roof. We can hear the crowd. I'm back invested. Pumped up. Tyrod Taylor is back, baby. I am back invested in this game. Now, just, if we could I'll just type find, in Houston for you. Now, if we could just find a way to get Jacoby Brissett in the lineup, we're, we're really cooking on gas. Tyrod oh, versus Jacoby. <laughs> oh, man, this would be your game. Yeah. We would assign you the game recap for uh, this one. This beautiful. Would be, you'd, you'd be locked. You wouldn't even watch the other games. No, just, I just, I'm in. I'm, I'm dialed in on this game. Don't know anybody talk to me for the next three and a half hours. Your two favorite quarterbacks. Uh, so what are you looking for in this uh, Texas Well, Tyrod now. Tyrod. Yeah. Tua. I mean, yeah. Tua is the thing to watch for this game. Like, he is essentially, <laughs> he's, he's kind of on borrowed time at this point. Like, the Miami Dolphins appeared to have been pretty hip deep in trying to get Deshaun Watson traded, 
right? At the ownership level. Yes. But that means that some pretty important people in the building don't believe in Tua. And then they've had to, like, been like, no, Tua, like, we weren't, you know, try- we were just inquiring about Deshaun Watson. This isn't an indictment on you. We were just we were just exploring it, you know, doing your due diligence, making sure we've uh, uncovered every stone, like, you know, just checked it out. See, you know, the... Um- the, there's the the Fresh Prince clip I use all the time when when he's explaining to the clown. He's like, the, the, huh. not everybody's against you. You yeah. just you suck, right? Yeah. I would use the same speech, but I wouldn't say you suck. I would say it's not you. Yeah. you know, nobody's against you or anything. It's just that Deshaun Watson's better than you. Yeah, we still believe in you. Hmm. We still think you're a starting quarterback. Just not if we can have him. But Deshaun Watson might right. have been available. Yeah, and we just. He's better. He's better than you. That's not insulting to you. He's just better. So that would be my I mean, my speech to Tua. What you this, know that like we both know Deshaun Watson's a better quarterback than you, Tua. What has effectively happened here, right, is that Tua and the Dolphins were out to dinner, right? Sitting down at a restaurant, having a nice, you know, meal, all these kinds of things. And then the Miami Dolphins went to hit on some hotter chick at the bar. Right? Yeah. And eventually they got rebuffed. And With then, 22 allegations against her. <laughs> let's leave that to the side <laughs> for a moment. Went to hit on some hot chick at the bar, were eventually rebuffed by the hot chick, and then just went back to the chair, sat down to Tua again, and were like, yeah. oh no, look, you and me, it's always been, you know, yeah. you know, just playing the field. And are expecting Tua to just be like, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> Carry which, on. Which brings me to the point that I make every March and April, and I'll make it again. If two is your guy, he'll be mentally strong enough to handle this. <laughs> if he is not your guy, then he won't be able to handle it, and you're going to get somebody new anyway. The point being, though, that Tua is basically a dead man walking at this point, and unless he has, I like don't know a, that he is. Unless he has a dramatic improvement from here on in. They're finding something else. Like, they're already looking. Yeah, of course they're looking. They're looking. And, you know, when Stephen Ross, the owner, is the one pushing it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the coaching staff. It really is coming from the top. Like, hey, we But it, it almost doesn't matter there. at that point. Like, if the owner is pushing for it to happen, Tua is not hanging around for that long. Um, Tua's, Tua's breakdown here, the PFF grade is okay. It's pretty – it's okay. 71 passing grade. Much like Teddy Bridgewater, he's got more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws. This is one of the issues, right? This is this is one of the reasons why the Niners want to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. He's been one of those guys that hasn't had a high percentage of big-time throws, had too many turnover-worthy plays. Uh, it's the reason why you don't feel great about Teddy Bridgewater being your starter going forward other than in a bridge, in bridge territory. bridge and Bridgewater together. What I'm just saying. Stop it. That's what he is. I know, but you can't, like, it's like fields and field. You can't do that to the English language. Stop doing it. Stop it. Stop it now. Two has got to, I'll finish. Two has got to be better. Just lost all my momentum there. That's okay. You can't was, get momentum back. No, it's a shame. It's gone forever. Okay, you finish this up. Okay. Um, <laughs> Tua last year had the lowest big time throw rate in the NFL, 2.7%. Nobody had a worse number. This year, it's at 3%, so it's taken a slight in uptick. It does, however, still rank 29th out of 35 quarterbacks this season. It's not high enough. Um, Tua, again, like he, his, he does put the ball in harm's way. Tua is basically Teddy Bridgewater at this point. 
they're the same person. Neither one of those guys brings enough big plays to the table to offset the fact that they don't actually take care of the football that well. So whilst you might like them and they might have you know pretty good accuracy and they do a lot of nice things and they may be great locker room guys, at some point you're like, dude, you're just not good enough for this game. <laughs> so that'd be your speech to Tua. Well, I'm just saying, look, right now that's where we are with you, Tua. That's why we're looking for the hot chick at the bar because, you know, you're you. We are officially, we're, we're 15 starts into Tua's career, I right. believe it is. So if you were just looking at his career stats as a baseline, because people understand season stats, he's, he's thrown for 2,800 yards. So give him, he'll have one more game to get to that 16 and you, just that baseline. 18 touchdowns, 10 picks, uh, passer ratings 86.7 for whatever that's worth, yards per attempt 6.4. So that would be the, that's just one of the traditional numbers that stands out that backs up what we're saying. When you don't have the big-time throws, you're not able to push the ball down the field. I do think the Dolphins have good good guys to throw to down the field. Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki and Jalen Waddle, like they yeah. have people to throw to. So, um, yeah, Tua's got to get better. And after all the flirtation and all that stuff, like he's just, he's just got to get better. So he, he's the guy to watch every single week. Will he take a... A huge a, a step in the right direction. And by the way, right now his grades this year below average grade against the Patriots, below average start against the Bills last week, and then two good starts against the Jaguars and the Falcons. Right? It has been dictated by who, what they've played defensively. He has um, three career games with multiple big time throws. He has six with no big time throws. Like this is his problem. You do not bring enough positive to the table to offset the things you're doing now look the dolphins analysis always has to be couched with the caveat of worst offensive line in the nfl you know like this is a major major problem so i think there is some some merit to the idea that tua makes that line look better than it is he also makes jalen waddle and some of their receivers look better than jacoby Brissett does but you still need to bring more like i know you're in a crappy situation but it's not enough like there is a difference between Burrow last year in a crappy situation and what you're doing right now. And that difference is, you know, buying in versus kicking you to the curb. Yeah, I heard somebody say that too. Like, wow, uh, if Deshaun, why, why aren't the Chargers or Bengals calling about Deshaun Watson? It's right. Like, well, Herbert and Burrow have showed more. So Which is far. precisely the point, right? Yeah. Like, you, that's, why, that's why them coming back to Tua and being like, no, no we, were just, we were just inquiring. It was, it's okay. That's why that's ridiculous because. Like if you bought into That's Tua, you're not you. you're not inquiring. The teams that are comfortable with their quarterbacks are not picking up the phone and finding out if we could settle twenty two lawsuits. You know, hey, what are the chances of being able to make all those go away before the trade deadline? Before the trade deadline. So I'm sure there'll be more Watson discussion at the end of the year when it comes to trades, and I'm sure the Dolphins will very much be in the mix where are you going in this texans dolphins game dolphins by six and a half i'm not sure if that's going to change at all by the time you listen to this and if Tua, i'm sorry if tyrod moves the needle as much texans win texans win yep i'll take tyrod leads into a glorious victory texans cover (laughs) coward texans cover buffalo bills at the jacksonville jaguars but bills by 14 and a half Yeah, Bills by 14 and a half. That's what I have to say. (laughs) That's what you got? Yeah. Nice. They were 14 points, right, against the Dolphins last week and covered. Covered late. Yes, covered, nonetheless. 
Got they the were 15. 17-point favorites against the Texans or 16-point favorites and covered. They won 40 to nothing. There have been a lot of these big... Uh, it's the Bills every week. Well, it's the Bills and some other teams. Bills and Bucks. There have been a lot of double-digit team or double-digit point spreads this year, and the team that's been favored has got a pretty good record of covering them. Yeah. Um, Bills are, by, by the way, the Bills are number two in our power rankings. Yeah. We the, have the Bucks the, remaining at number one. And the Jags are very bad. And uh, listen, to the, listen to this. Bills, to, to date, have the number 30, uh, so the, the third easiest strength of schedule. Uh-huh. Going forward, their strength of schedule ranks 28th, so yeah. four, fifth easiest, right? Is that right? Fifth easiest? Yes. 32, 31, 30. <laughs> yeah, fifth easiest strength of schedule. Yeah. So glad we have you helping in with the R&D stuff. Uh, oh, that's a great show. Yeah. Before we lose it. Do we need like a chart? Can we get you like a kid's counting assist somewhere? Well, the, the, the chart's great at PFF. Okay, they should flip it. So it's first is hardest <laughs> and 29. So like, I should be able to go. Anyway, you can, you can resort it though. Either way, you can resort it. By the way, Miami's got the easiest strength of schedule going forward. Great. Perfect. So there's a great... They've had the third most difficult schedule, but they've got the easiest schedule going forward, the Dolphins. So how about that? All right, what are you looking for in this game? (laughs) It might be a tough one for Trevor. Trevor Lawrence to, you know, again, too many... Just too many mistakes in there from Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Two really special big-time throws last week that both fell incomplete against the Seahawks. But the Bills' defense has been just really good this year, and it's going to be another challenge for this Jags' offense to move the ball. Yeah, I'm just I'm kind of getting bored waiting for like signs of life from the Jacksonville offense. Like it's just not, it's not even interesting. It's like yeah. every now and again, Trevor Lawrence will make a special throw, but most of it isn't good. And it's like, ugh, what are we doing here? It's just where is the pro- like where are we going? Like what is the pathway? What direction are we even pointed in? We're just spinning around in a circle, going nowhere. Jags offense. Yeah. Cut that. Jags offense. So Not they're good. they're kind of depressing to watch. <laughs> Buffalo's defense is good. The Bills offense is good as well, but it seems kind of – I mean, obviously they're not in the same category as the Chiefs, whose offense is really struggling. But it does feel like the Buffalo offense isn't quite firing on all cylinders. I think there's a misfire somewhere in there. It's not humming the way it should. But against Jacksonville, it might not matter, and they should still roll. This is where the, the Josh Allen MVP hype starts to you, – you beat up on the bad teams and you start to load up the stat sheet, and that's when he starts to get back into that mix. It is a 14.5-point spread, and 96% of the cash is still coming in on Buffalo to cover it. Yeah, count me in. Bills cover. Same. Count me in. Yes. Josh Allen, 84.7 grade this year. We for, did – For what it's worth, though, Green Line goes the other way. Do they? They think it's only a 13.9. A 13.9? <laughs> a little conservative there, Green yeah. Line. I would trust Green Line in general, though. That would be a, a much better play. You know that you, you know you get the 25% off using promo code NFL Pod. You get access to all that stuff. Uh, Josh Allen, though, remember, first two games started a little bit slow. Those were his worst two grades of the season. Weeks one and two against the Steelers and then the Dolphins. Since that point, has not graded below 72. So uh, Allen has uh, gotten back on track and playing much better football than he did the first two weeks of the season. Um, I do know we've been peppered with comments that Allen is taking care of the ball. I will say he's had 10 turnover-worthy plays this year and only three actual interceptions. So um, if there's a chance for the Jaguars to cover and or pull off the upset, it'd be Allen not taking... Oh, that was bad. 
It would be Allen not taking care of the ball and it not, you know, what did you not getting lucky. I kicked a uh, my coffee mug. Oh, it's all right. As long as you don't break the table. No, the table's not falling apart. Nothing's falling apart. I think we're done here, though. I think we're done. A lot of podcasting this week. PFF NFL podcast. Had a great show yesterday. We hope you guys go back and listen to it if you haven't already. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the week nine action. Anything else? No, just a daily up? to get through, and then we're done. We have one more daily. Yeah. We do eight podcasts a week, and yeah. we appreciate everybody that's a part of it. If you're here on uh, on YouTube, give us that thumbs up on your way out. Appreciate that as well. And uh, go subscribe to the daily, the audio version. Go search PFF NFL Daily. Subscribe to that. Send me a screenshot that you are subscribed to both, and I will hand out PFF Edges. Hand out one or two. Maybe huh. more. We'll see. I'll hand them out. Right. Not to everybody that sends it, but some lucky winner that sends those screenshots. We had a couple more come in yesterday, so... Get anything else? No. Did we both take the Bills in that game? Yeah. All right, we'll keep track of our record here. The uh, the producers tell me we might even create some graphics here to really hold us accountable. Oh, dear. Which is great. We've been living in a world of unaccountability before it's, now. We have not been accountable, and I've been keeping tallies on my own here on the side. Right. And, uh, and who knows if you're fudging those numbers. I'm, I'm, not, seven, I'm certainly not checking you. 17 and 7. Allegedly. Pretty good. I mean, that's by your math. You couldn't work out what 28 was flipped upside down. Just took, took a minute. I'm just, just saying. Took a minute. You're the guy that is being trusted. But you know, with, I can calculate percentages in my head. So you also couldn't count the number of games that were on the schedule last week. This is not. I'm just did saying. Did we hit every game? We missed Monday Night Football last week because I did it. Your math might not be the thing to rely upon. 14 games, four teams on by. I think we're good. Okay. Covered. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Monday as we recap all of the Week 9 action.